Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. What I'd like to have right now... With a big boys play. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com. The only place to be in your pop culture world. Uh, hello, you're listening to Where the Big Boys Play. Uh, I'm here with the man himself, Chad the Machine Campbell. How are you doing, Chad? Doing good, Par. How are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, like I said, I'm drinking a cup of tea here, just eating some pancakes and uh, been shopping. Uh, how is life in the world of uh, Chad? What have you been up to wrestling-wise in the past week? And uh, I, I couldn't help but notice that a couple of your articles have uh, been uh, reaching some uh, quite interesting places. Why don't you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess kind of sad circumstances, but uh, last week both uh, Matt Bourne, Doink, passed away, and also Jackie Fargo. And uh, I think Jackie Fargo especially is a very interesting type character because... This guy was really influential around the 50s, 60s, um, through the 70s, and uh, even in the 80s when he introduced the Fabulous Ones. And there's just not a lot of a uh, people from that era that was still around now. Yeah. And uh, B, kind of just history on him. It was sort of tough where you knew he was a Memphis legend, but I think... Uh, you know, a lot of people's association with him was from what they saw in the Memphis Heat documentary. And uh, I've been watching the 91 yearbook, and he's popped up a little bit in that. And it's very uh, telling and interesting how they treat him as sort of this conquering legend that's returning to the uh, to the promotion, where even in the program, uh, Steve Kern, he's a heel, but uh, obviously he was introduced as a fabulous one by Jackie Fargo, and he sort of tells, uh, he comes in with Stan Lane and Jim Cornette, and he tells both of them that he's not going to attack Jackie Fargo because he has too much respect for him. So uh, it's very interesting that even like heels in the promotion are talking about how much they respect this legend and guy like that. Yeah. Uh, so it's very cool. He, yeah, yeah, he's not... Uh... Not a guy who's hugely talked about, um, Jackie Fargo. Uh, I, I guess it's because he's from a time where we don't have a lot of uh, footage. Right. Like, I would say there is limited, limited, limited footage on him. As far as him actually wrestling, I've probably only seen maybe 10 minutes of footage. Do you know what the relationship uh, was between the original, like, uh, fabulous... Uh, what do they call them? The Fabulous Fargo Brothers, and right. and the uh, the tag team, the Fabulous Ones. Later on, is there any relationship there, or is it just a coincidence that they're both? Well, the uh, the Fabulous Fargo Brothers is like an Anderson deal. They were not right. related, um, but they were one of the top kind of tag teams in the '60s and '70s. I mean, they even saw uh, they had twenty thousand at Madison Square Garden. So when I was writing the article, that was. 
something that's very interesting too because uh, while you know Fargo was certainly regionally centered uh there's definitely evidence that he drew elsewhere and outside of just the uh, memphis nashville tennessee area too but uh basically the fabulous ones were introduced by jackie fargo where um he said he kind of accumulated a tag team and they had some uh, great vignettes if you haven't seen them par where he introduces them into the uh promotion very ahead of their time. I think this was like 1982. Right. Uh, yeah, no, so I haven't that, seen any of that stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. They're, uh, they're on YouTube, like the kind of birth of the fabulous ones. And it's uh, some great stuff. Um, and where, I mean, where, uh, what sort of places were picking up these articles that you wrote, Chad? Well, I do know, uh, I did see that uh, the, the Observer. Um, our buddy <laughs> Dave Meltzer had actually, uh, he put them in his daily update and he actually, uh, sent me a nice little note on the, uh, on the Jackie Fargo article. And then also, uh, Jerry Lawler on his, uh, personal Facebook page, uh, sent a leak out for the Jackie Fargo article, which was, you know, pretty cool. I thought that's a, that, that is a immensely cool Chad. Uh, yeah. Oh, excellent! Well, Chad getting to be a big name in the uh, in the world of uh, <laughs> wrestling obituaries. Yeah. Uh, um, any thoughts on uh, uh, Matt Bourne? Uh, I I did enjoy his. Uh, he was a member of the Rat Pack, wasn't he? Is yeah, right? he has a very uh, interesting career because if you come to look at the plight with all his different characters, he had a variety of characters that are kind of memorable and he was involved in a lot of sort of memorable stuff I think uh, and and I think a lot of his stuff was very progressive Doink was certainly progressive uh, at the time it happened the Riot Pack as far as being a heel stable predates uh, the big mid-south uh, predates the big Freebird run in world class and the, of course the Four Horsemen yeah. So in some ways they were sort of the predecessors there. Uh, so he had a very kind of, I guess, a drifty career where he went to pretty much all the major promotions and places of the era and fit in some places, burned bridges <laughs> elsewhere. But he was he could be a, an impact player. Uh, but Doink in 1993, I think, is really his best uh his peak, both from a character, the way he portrayed that, because he really took a character that could, I think, went a lot of different ways and would have turned hokey if somebody else would have been at the helm of it. And he really sort of formed it into a darkly demented character that's probably one of the highlights of, uh, certainly one of the highlights of WWF television in 1993. No, absolutely, uh, very dark character, and uh, yeah, good. Um, he's he's really not bad uh, in the ring either, Matt Bourne. Like uh, he has some pretty good matches around that. Yeah, time. I like him as kind of a bruising. Uh, I mean, on the uh, ninety yearbook, he has this brawl with Kerry Von Erich, and uh, I think it's May. Uh, that's really great. Like it goes all over the place. They end up fighting on top of a car. 
uh, have like back body drops and stuff like that on top of a car. So it's this wild brawl that uh, goes all over the sportatorium, and it's uh, very interesting to see. Yeah, I seem to remember he has that match in uh, where he subs for Jerry Lawler. You know, Jerry Lawler's like pretending to be injured, and uh, is it Bret Hart he has a match with during that feud? I, re- I remember that not being not being too bad either. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he has the uh, SummerSlam '93 match with uh, with Bret Hart. He has a he has a variety of good matches and stuff with. Uh, I haven't seen quite all of his stuff with versus Buddy Rose and uh, in Portland, but I have seen a lumberjack match from them from 1982. That's fantastic. I probably one of the best matches we probably have on tape from 1982. Oh, like wow. maybe a top ten contender right off the top of my head. Well, I, I I look forward to. Uh, I know I said before that I wasn't in any rush to watch Portland, but that that the hype machine is built enough now for me to uh, really want to check out some Buddy Rose from that era. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of my, what I've been up to in the past week, uh, not a lot. I started watching some AWA again, um, which. Um, really scale some of the peaks and some of the absolute uh, troughs, I guess, Chad. Um, yeah, you made a terrible mistake uh, ending your night with that Zoom off uh, oh regal match. That, that is, I mean, in terms of worst, like, you know you can have bad matches that are entertaining in their badness, like, I don't know, Ranger Ross versus Iron Sheik or something, <laughs> right. where at least there's something to laugh about. Uh that match didn't have anything to laugh about for me. It was just like crushing. It was. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> it's my number one forty nine. Yeah. Um, there's I... there's one coming up that I think trumps it, uh, but I don't, it, I, it's I so, don't believe it's, there's a worse match. Yeah, I, I think it'll definitely be number one fifty for a lot. Uh, I'd, but... I'd actually be surprised if those two matches. Or not? I mean, I, uh, the other matches. Uh, my 150 is Sherry Martell versus Debbie the Killer Tomato. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought that match is just actively bad. I understand that Sherry was integral in the promotion, and uh, the committee maybe wanted to showcase something with her. But I can't possibly believe that there's nothing. Uh, but if if there's another match on tape, I would say that one should have made it over this one because this was a match that I, I almost would say your diva matches on Monday night are most of the time better than what this was. Uh, the the Regal Bumhoff uh, Bumhoff match it just lasted forever. I think that's one of the worst things about it is uh, is it was so long and so just dry as a bone as a match so it was it was bad and that supposedly is the best of the bunch of that stuff too which is uh very fearful to think about yeah from anyone outside of uh pwo kind of dvdr land uh listening to this we're, we're talking about uh the awa dvdr et set and there's a match on there called uh which is um mr electricity steve regal versus Buck Zumoff. <laughs> and uh, I mean I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if anybody ever said, what is Buck Zumoff meant to be Chad I don't, I, don't, I just don't get like <laughs> I don't get him at all yeah <laughs> um but I uh, I spent um uh, Friday night um get, drinking uh ale 
uh, into the wee hours of the morning. In fact, into the into the actual morning, as it turned out. And the very last match, I uh, I mean, I was kind of zoning out, Chad, as it was, but bloody hell, I, I just uh, that's got to be one of the worst. It's probably the worst <laughs> match I've seen this in the past, like since we started doing the show easily. So there we are. What a I didn't see your post on it yet, but what did you think of uh, Magnum versus Flair? Oh, well, that was very interesting because the crowd, uh, it was Magnum versus Flair wasn't uh, bad at all. They were doing a kind of what you kind of what you'd expect a Magnum versus Flair match, but uh, to be to an extent. Uh, but the AWA crowd was not into that match at all, were they? No, I, th- I think that. That was a pretty long show. I think that may be just a case of burnout. I'm looking at your stuff now. Uh, seems like we're aligned on that. I expect to be uh, fairly high on that match when all is said and done. I, I It ended up kind of sneaking into my top 25. Well, I mean, unless there's a dramatic uh, increase in quality um, on that set, I reckon the matches I'm giving B and B plus are going to finish top half. From what I can see, um, it, it seems to me that the general quality for the ratings I'm giving out is around like a B minus C C plus, like going all the way down to F um, in general, um, with a, with a couple of matches here and there breaking that kind of A A minus type. Uh, and th- there are some really good matches. There's uh, seemingly they do really good cage matches in AWA. There's that mm-hmm. one with uh, Slaughter and. Um, Blackwell. Uh, Blackwell with uh, King Tonga, that's Haku. And, right. Um, Mass Superstar and uh, Sheik Adnan Al-Casey. Yeah. Adnan Al-Casey is like a cage, every cage match he's in. Really good. <laughs> yeah, he's really good in that match. That match is, uh, I think I ended up having that match at number nine. That was one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. Have you finished, Chad? Yeah, into- I'm done. Oh my God. I am done. How do you uh, do it? How is that possible? I, uh... <laughs> I, I kind of just blew through it and went through uh, away. But, uh, I, I mean, I tell you, though, I uh, I actually, I know you sometimes joke about how easily I go through stuff, but I feel really behind on my wrestling watching because, like, in the uh, 91 yearbook, I usually try to do those, uh, complete those in about 90 to 120 days, and I'm uh, still on, like, disc 10, just finished disc 10 of... Uh, of uh, 1991, so I feel behind because of with the uh, wrestling, uh, starting the website, that's been a lot of my free time has been devoted to that, and then also uh, I've been watching kind of a lot of more random stuff that's not really structured, like some indie stuff and all over the board, but uh, but yeah, that, that match I ended up having as... Uh, Actually, I'm looking at it now, and I must have bumped it down a little bit because I uh, end up having it as 12. And then uh, it's my second highest rated cage match, though. There's one coming up that I had uh, rated higher. But uh, it was a good match, for sure. Listeners, to give you an idea here, when the machine here says that he's fallen behind on his on his watching, in this year alone, in 2013 alone, he's he's compiled his top 100 matches just from 1990. And his top 150 matches from uh, from the AWA. So, you know, that's more than most people would be able to manage in a couple of years, I reckon, Chad. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I definitely think I watch more than most, but uh, but I, I tell you, you know who uh, who is blowing through some stuff is uh, our friend and listener of the show, Pete. Uh, he'll be on the show soon, and he's he's finished uh, both 1990 and 1991, and he uh, he actually finished the AWA set last year. So wow. he's really someone that can go through a ton of footage himself. I, I tell you a guy I noticed. I, I don't really see him post anywhere else, but uh, there's a guy called Kevin Ridge. He seems yeah. uh, he seems to blow through them quite quickly as well. Is he? Uh... Yes, yes. Kevin Ridge is a great commenter on the uh, on the earbud threads over at PWA. Well, I'm, my plan is to get through AWA so I can actually start back on the yearbooks. So um, it's kind <laughs> I of haven't great. watched the uh, the extra disc of the AWA. I've kind of I I didn't watch uh, the end of disc eleven and uh, disc twelve, so I need to do that at some point. Uh, I, I mean, I, I've got a uh, I don't know if I can explain this, but um, I've got this uh, philosophy of eating roast dinners. Okay, Chad, where um. Where I don't know if you have roast dinners in the states the same way that we do here, but it's basically a, a dinner with some like roast meat on it. You have the roast potatoes, you have some Yorkshire pudding, and then you have like some carrots and gravy, and uh, there are some other like uh, components of the plate. But usually right. there's uh, something like Brussels sprouts or like uh, you, you know your greens, cabbages, and things. And my t- my tactics growing up as a kid, okay, uh, to to attack a roast dinner was um, was to eat the greens. Uh, the sprouts first, so I could get onto the good stuff, you know. Uh, so I'd, I'd I'd always work my like go through all of the stuff I wasn't particularly fond of, you know, the boring vegetables and things, so I could get onto those roast potatoes and get onto the roast beef. <laughs> and um, I gotta be and so but, but because of that, I have a uh, a phrase that I use uh, to describe things sometimes as being a little bit sprouty. Um, and uh, so I, I describe like a film, for example, as a sprout that you have to watch, you know, like uh, something like um, Casablanca. Right. I mean, it's a great film, um, but it was like it came out in 1942. It's a little bit slow to watch, but it's a sprout. You kind of have to eat it. as a, You know, you have to eat that sprout as a film fan, just to, as a kind of rite of passage. And uh, the, the reason I'm telling you this is because I, I have I've got to be honest, I found a lot of the AWA um, style quite sprouty in that manner it feels like i'm working through a lot of cabbage and green vegetables there i know it's good for me but you know <laughs> i want i want a bit more meat do you understand what i'm saying yeah i think you're uh, you're definitely getting into what i thought was the the highlight of the set and the easiest to blow through uh yeah. 1986 up to may of 1987 I thought was uh, certainly the next uh, few discs, or certainly the highlight. Yeah, well, I can um, see Stan Hansen's around the corner, so I'm excited about that. Yeah, I, I, I really like the Stan Hansen stuff. Uh, actually, some of that stuff I think was a little more, uh, especially the stuff with Slaughter, seemed to have more de- uh, kind of divisive opinion than I imagined. But I loved all that stuff. His match with the Young Vader. Uh, from May 1986 is uh, actually my like number three match. I thought it was absolutely fantastic, and uh, but yeah, the promotion I think really hits a uh, quality match quality standpoint peak in '86 uh, and '87. But unfortunately, that coincided with a dip in business, and then sort of the last couple of discs or stuff that. 
I found easy to get through, but it's not your high-end, a lot of kind of middle-of-the-road stuff for me, with a couple of exceptions. But, Maybe, yeah. That is interesting, that, the, that you're saying the peak stuff is in 86 and 87, because the stereotype of AWA certainly isn't that, right? I mean, the, well, st- the stereotype is that it falls off a, falls off a ledge sometime after Hogan leaves, so... Right, well, I, I mean, think I think uh, anybody, I think most people that have completed the set would agree with me from a match quality. Yeah. But but you can certainly see a decline in business. Right. Like like even I mean it's it's sad that that Cal Palace show that ends up having uh, Kurt Henning's turn. Uh, I mean that's been a a brilliantly crafted angle, and there's just they the the camera angle doesn't give it any favors, but. You can tell there's only you know a couple thousand people in this huge arena, so it's it's really sad to watch because uh, to me it certainly deserved more because around that time and how well that been built up, it deserved a hot crowd. Yeah. Last question on AWA uh, uh, for the time being is uh, that dissenting opinion on, uh, on you know you're saying that Hanson stuff has been a bit divisive. Is that um, you know, Mr. Structure, Matt D. Uh, is he the is he the guy who's uh, who's not really? Because uh, I can't remember who was the one that was all. Because uh, it, it, it does sit, in in a lot of the AWA talk, there seems to be a pretty hard split between uh, people who are really into the wild brawls and the cage matches and stuff, and um, and him really, who's 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 often looking for structure and logic and. Obviously, you know, a wild cage match isn't always going to have that sort of stuff. I seem to remember the bunkhouse match being uh, being one of the ones. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Dylan in that in the bunkhouse match, his uh, I'll just read his little last paragraph. It says the work in this was solid, but it seemed like there should have been more to it. Overall, it was good and belongs on the set, but it lacks enough meat to take it to the next level. So that sounds like. Uh, Something kind of in his bottom half, right? Uh, and then Matt D basically agreed with him, and uh, and then <laughs> actually Pete says probably will be in the bottom twenty-five, which I find uh, shocking because that match is firmly in my uh, in in my top half, right? But uh, but but I mean it's my least favorite of the series, but. Uh, I certainly wouldn't dream of putting that in the bottom 25 of what I've seen. Wow. Okay. Well, the name on the marquee is not AWA on this show. It's NWA. Uh, so shall we... Uh, what, what, what are we gathered here today to do, uh, Chad? Why don't, you, uh, why don't you introduce our big main event feature here? Well, this is the... Uh... We've reached the end of the road, as we've been talking about, for the 80s. And uh, so we've compiled a good many categories uh, that we're going to go through. Some some uh, awards we basically, I think, combined kind of uh, a few couple of Slammy Awards. Uh, PWI and Observer are all kind of merged together into what we thought was really relevant for the uh, stuff we'd watched in the NWA. So we have a, uh, a a multitude of awards, and I'm really looking forward to kind of getting into it and working it out. We, I, I, I will say on the onset, I think most of our matches uh, and wrestlers are 
sort of your usual suspects that you might think. Uh, but there, I do think there's a couple of surprises, and we did have a couple of uh, dissension, um, <clears throat> disagreeing opinions. So yeah. we'll be able to work all that out. Right. So, I mean, the way we've tried to structure this show for today is that we've got two kind of bigger lists, top 20 matches and top 10 wrestlers that are going to kind of run through things. And then we've got a number of kind of smaller awards. So I thought it might be fun to try to arrange it like the Oscars. You know, like in the Oscars, how uh, they kind of pause to take a look at um, the best, the films that are nominated for best Oscar, like in between all the other awards. Right. I thought we could have our top 20 matches uh, kind of like that. So uh, shall, we st- shall we start with uh, the kind of first five of the top 20 matches that we've that we've gone for sure um so this is a little bit um tricky because the other thing that we're going to do is that if somebody's got a match higher up their list we're going to save it right so um i'm just having a look is your 20 any higher than my is my 20 on your list uh, let me look. This will be a lot of kind of bouncing around. Your number 20 is not on my list. It was in my honorable mentions. Oh, my. So we can talk about that. Wow, you didn't put that? All right. Uh, it was my number 21. It was tough to leave off, but uh, I actually watched my number 20, which is on your honorable mention list, and I uh, watched that match last night, and I could not see uh, not putting that in my top 20. So. Right. Well, um my number 20 is Ric Flair versus Lex Luger from Starcade 88, um, which uh, I thought was just a tremendous match. Uh, and it's got that, um, it's got a really compelling storyline. Uh, and the big thing I remember in it is that it's got one of the best transitions of any match I can remember, um, which is, uh, I can vividly remember it now, where Flair basically grabs a chair, slams Luger's leg in it, and then decimates Luger's leg to the extent Um that he goes for the torture rack at the end, and uh, his leg gives way and Flair pins him. Is that isn't that right? Is that yeah. yeah, yeah. He has the torture rack. Legs gives way. Flair pins him with his foot on the ropes um, yeah. for the pin. Yeah, yeah. and I, I always say that Ric Flair is an organic worker. That he thinks on his feet. He doesn't necessarily plan plan things out in advance. Um, and if I was going to point to a match where I reckon he's kind of thinking on his feet. I mean, I've got no evidence for it one way or the other, but it seems to me that they just kind of like develop that story themselves as that match progresses. So I think that's really, and it's a it's probably the best baby face Lex Luger match uh, that we've seen so far. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it's a great match. I think uh, it's it's last ten minutes carries it uh, to where it belongs on this list. And, uh, yeah, I mean, fantastic finish. I think it's one of the smartest finishes we had. And I think overall it's uh, one of the most memorable matches, probably move for move, because we, uh, I guess we watched that match almost six months ago now, and it's it's pretty vivid uh, in my memory, too. I did not rewatch that one for this show. But uh, I, I definitely a worthy addition to that. And, I mean, I guess we should say, too, I think uh, – you said in your uh, post on PWO, and I agree with you that uh, I mean all of our top twenty is stuff that if I had to rank, I would rank it four and a half stars. 
and even a couple matches that missed the cut. Uh, pretty much every match that missed my cut was in my next five or uh, four and a half stars. So yeah. it, I, it's, it's really picking between great and great here. So Yeah, I, I've got several matches, uh, at least four that I can see that missed the cut that I gave four and a half to. Um, that, I, that even on the last show that we did, or the last two shows that I did, I, I, I gave on air four and a half, to, uh, half stars to. So... The, the match quality is through the roof, um, to be honest. Uh, I'm li- I'm a little bit surprised that you left your boy uh, Lex Luger off, uh, you know, in his big moment there. Yeah, this uh, this <laughs> as a singles match means he wouldn't. I mean, that one. This uh, I'll say probably as we go through it that my number three and four matches was the toughest for me to place, and then right here at the very bottom, the Nia. Uh, the 1920 through uh, 22 was tough to place for me, but uh, but my number 20 is uh, Ronnie Garvin versus Tolly Blanchard from the Great American Bash 1986, and uh, I watched that match last night because I was a little disappointed in their worldwide match from 5386. I still thought it was very good, yeah. But uh, but again, I know people talk about that as one of their favorite TV matches of the. Uh, really of the 80s in NWA and I did not think it reached that level so I was wondering if uh, if this match was sort of clouded by my judgment because this was really kind of when we were starting to get on board with Garvin with what he was doing and uh, this match really held up it's a great slugfest type match it's it's fairly short but given time to develop totally is I think at his heel best in a lot of ways with this match is just sort of a, a conniving, slimy heel. And so this this match is, I think, a really rough, rigid, uh, Sockham-type match that I wanted to put at number 20 in Showcase. Yeah, well, I mean, I, uh, I, that was one of the ones that just missed out for me, uh, Garvin versus uh, Tully. But I do remember this was kind of doing the height of our Tully love and as our Garvin love was just about uh, being ignited so um, yeah and I, I it, it just um, I got nothing against it it just missed out from right. uh, you know sheer sheer numbers here something has to something has to be cut right so uh, exactly. and I thought Garvin was pretty well represented in the rest of my uh, list as you as you'll see mm-hmm. Um before before we move on to number nineteen, uh, Chad, I've been meaning to ask you something. Um, I, I've noticed uh, I've noticed on the place to be uh, uh, Facebook uh, website a few comments now that you uh, you love this guy called Prince uh, Devitt. You didn't you didn't really mention that when we talked about him. Uh. It's not a <laughs> it's a it's kind of a running joke where. Uh, where it, 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 it sort of sprouted as a running joke throughout WrestleMania weekend when we was in New York. <laughs> uh, I, I, I actually, it's, it's kind of sad that in that grouping, I'm mostly associated with Prince Devitt. Prince Devitt, he's, I think he's a very athletic wrestler. And I do like, he's he's became a lot more heel. He, he's had a heel character so far this year. And the stuff I've seen, I've liked his heel character, but uh, his matches involve a lot of interference, which is not totally uncharacteristic for New Japan, but it is, you know, sort of rare. 
that there's, I mean, there's interference almost in every match with Prince Devitt, and he's the leader of a new group faction called the Bullet Club. So, uh, so it's mostly a running joke, but uh, I mean, well, he he's not even my favorite <laughs> Japanese wrestler if I had to pick. I just, I just wanted to ask you whether your man love for uh, Devitt um, is greater than your man love for uh, Sexy Lexi. No, yeah, Lex, I mean, as far as actual wrestlers that I truly enjoy, Lex and Garvin are way, way ahead of Devitt. I mean, most Devitt matches I uh, watch, I, I marvel at the the athleticism, and he his, match, uh, his matches lately I've enjoyed, because like I said, I've enjoyed his heel character, but I know on, like, the Observer Board, there's people that would place Devitt as one of their top wrestlers of the year or something like that. Uh, for this year and last year, and he he wouldn't be on my short list. So, so I just wanted to clear that up because I was uh, raised raised my eyebrow a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, right. So uh, how we're we gonna do this? Uh, number nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> and your number nineteen, I have uh, higher up. So right. we'll get to your number nineteen uh, a little bit later. And let me. And uh, my number nineteen though is not. Richard and Ricky Steamboat versus uh, from Starcade 1984, and yeah. I think uh, Starcade 84 is a pretty brutal show, but uh, this is really the uh, only highlight of the show. Yeah, I, and uh, great match. I mean, really, really great match. These two didn't match up a ton. It doesn't seem like, and. I think they really complemented each other again. I, I, I think this really shows kind of the versatility of Tully because the match versus Garvin is very uh, brawlish, punch, kicky oriented. And the, the match here, I think, is more finesse, uh, a good bit of wrestling mixed in. So that, another great performance by both of these. This is actually, I think, one of my favorite Steamboat performances overall. Uh, probably my favorite besides the Flair series for him. So good showing. Uh, I've I've got that match in the four star kind of range in my in my mind. Um, I I just think that it's a show that it's a match that benefits from being on a pretty poor show. Uh, that's a that's a pretty much a one match show. I uh, start start at eighty four uh, that I can remember. I can't remember anything else good on that show. Um, so yeah, I. I uh, I don't know. Maybe I could do with a re. Maybe I could rewatch it. But I, my feeling is that it was a four-star match, not a, not anything better than that. Just just happened to be the best match on that show. So, a little bit of a disagreement, Chad. <laughs> uh, and, uh, well, that's funny you say that because uh, you can go ahead and introduce your number eighteen because that's just kind of how exactly how I feel about that match. <laughs> uh, n- number eighteen. <laughs> Uh, it's um, uh, Barry Windham versus Tully Blanchard uh, from the main event um, on the no I got to get this right the 10th of April right. 1988. Right. Um, so this is the shorter of the two matches, right? The, yeah. The, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, well, I said everything uh, I thought about it on the last show. Uh, I actually just thought it was a tremendous match. Um, it was uh, fast-paced, well-worked. Um, what, what's there not to like, Chad? I mean, there's plenty to like, but again, I think 
uh, for me, this one's in the uh, in the I mean around the four star category. Uh, right. So it's it's certainly a great match, but uh, it it probably oof, I don't know if it would make a top thirty for me. It'd be all up there maybe, but it'd be close. But uh, yeah, I mean, great work. I I still think the best thing about that match is the delayed selling. I thought of the uh, kind of staggered selling, and that match was uh, fantastic. So certainly a good match. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I just thought it was it was it was a it was a good it was a probably the best shorter Barry Windham match that I can remember seeing. Um, and the, yeah. My views on Windham are slightly controversial, I'm aware. Uh, your number 18, I can see, is one that I've got higher. Yeah, which I found surprising, but uh, but we'll get to that. I I couldn't justify, I tried to put it higher, but I liked everything else ahead of it. Uh, but then on number, number 17, we actually agree, so if you want to go ahead and introduce <laughs> that one. Well, we have, what are the odds on that? We have exactly the same placement. Yeah. Number 17, it's the Midnight Express versus the Fantastics. Um, and this is the long match from Pro, 26th of March, 88. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we just talked about it on the very last show, right? Um, and it, I mean, it's going to seem like those last two shows we did are overrepresented here. But you've you got to remember that these are the best TV matches um, of the 80s that we looked at. So there are going to be more matches from there than... Um, from all of the other shows combined, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think we sort of, with those last couple of shows, we too cherry-picked the top-of-the-top stuff. Uh, so it shouldn't be a surprise that a good bit of it is uh, represented. But yeah, this match, I think, is a, uh, is a way to get over the Fantastics and the promotion. I thought this was a, a very kind of smart way to do it. Uh, I've, I've always liked the uh, Midnight Express and Fantastics, their uh, their rapport with each other, and this match was, uh, no pun intended, fantastic too. <laughs> with the with the opening shine sequence, which if it hadn't went long, could have been really grating and unfair. But again, I want to commend the Midnight Express for uh, when they were on top. Uh, which they were not on top for as long a time as the Fantastics were, but when they were on top, they really made the most of it and uh, did a ton of damage to the Fantastics to where even at the end when the Fantastics won, it felt like an upset. It felt like they'd kind of overcame the odds in a lot of ways. So kudos for that. Yeah, The, the one thing I, uh, we should mention with this is that um, in the comments for the last show, um, it was noted that the second Midnight's Fantastic match, which uh, mine was brutally clipped, yours was uh, slightly less so, but apparently that actual match was 50 minutes long, the second one yeah. that they had later yeah, in the it, year. It's actually longer than this one, but uh, hopefully one day the uncut version of it will see the light of day. I mean, the version I saw, it's very close with this one. Um, to where it, I mean, I'd probably rank that match ahead of the uh, Tolly Wendell match that we yeah. just talked about for me. But, uh, but yeah, I, I do think when I was going down and thinking about the list, I did think that, uh, one, this match was better than that one, and actually overall this was the um, best Midnight Express Fantastics match we saw 
I think we saw four really yeah. good ones, and uh, this one was my favorite. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I know I was wondering about the Clash One match because uh, we both liked that, um, and I I really liked their Bash match as well. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. Uh, Great American Bash '88. But they both missed the cut here. I thought if they're going to be represented by anything, it should be that match. Yeah, I mean, I think the Clash One match is uh, it's it's very like a violent junior tag match, uh, but it's it's short. So I did think this should get some points for a uh, being as long as it was and keeping my interest into uh, the way it integrated the Fantastics in the promotion. Right. Well, number sixteen. And uh, actually, this is going to be pretty anticlimactic because both our number 16s <laughs> we each had, uh, the other person had higher. So we won't reveal those uh, quite yet. Okay. So anyone sad enough to uh, be uh, taking notes uh, here? Uh, you know, if you've got your pen in your pan, you're writing down each of the. Yeah, some mess. I know. Uh, <laughs> Wrestling culture, they've done a year-end award show uh, the past couple of years, and they've done a top ten matches. And uh, when I watch at work, I always have to have my little steno book and keep detailed notes on who is uh, who has what ranked where. So yeah, it's kind of confusing. The question is, Chad, do you have any listeners who are as sad as you, who are as sad as you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's take a little. Uh, break uh from um our top 20 matches here to uh go to one of our more minor awards best woman best woman (laughs) Uh, not not a lot of choices here uh, i didn't think uh but i did think there was one kind of clear winner, and that's that's Baby Doll. Uh, Baby Doll was positioned as a very integral part of the promotion, kind of in the, uh, I guess, sort of the primitive days of the Horseman. Really, she was around, and yeah, uh, and then she changed allegiances. But uh, in that 1985-1986 era, she was very hot uh, within the promotion, and. I think she served her role well. I thought she was one of the better, if you want to consider her kind of in the valet vein, uh, instead of somebody like maybe Sherry Martell. I mean, I I would put her closer, I think, to the Sherry Martell manager role than like a Miss Elizabeth. Um, I don't know about you. Yeah, and you know, uh, Baby Doll could give you a good whack as well. You know, if she give you a a hit across the face, it'd probably hurt. Yeah, that's like, I mean, she she was uh, a lot more, I guess, physically integral involved in the matches than I seem to remember. Well, she's uh, she's basically bigger than Tully, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, I reckon pound for pound, she's, you know, she's she's a big girl. Uh, yeah, I went for Baby Doll as well. Uh, the only real competition I could think of, um, apart from that guest host who was on once, what was it? What was her name? Because Linda Curry. Linda, yeah. Apart from Linda Curry, um, uh, it's really Robin Green. Um, and I, I guess Robin Green is a slightly better promo than Baby Doll. I don't really see a lot of Baby Doll on the, on the yeah. mic. But yeah, Baby I Doll, I don't really like Woman as a promo. No, but, I, yeah. uh, that, I don't know. I thought Robin Green was all right in that. Um, I thought that angle was quite fun with yeah. the, uh, with the turning of Garvin. Is that, is that what happened? I can't remember now. No, she uh, on Steiner. That's oh, on the Steiners, yeah. yeah the Steiners, her, right. her and Missy are with the Steiners, and then she ends up turning on him, and then bringing out a uh, bringing out Doom. 
Sorry, I was confused because uh, Kevin Sullivan was involved with both of those, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we've both gone for Baby Doll. Um, yeah. I, I, my number two pick would have been probably Precious. We didn't see a ton of her, uh, but yeah. I've, I've always liked her. Uh, it's a pretty good ballet for uh, Jimmy Garvin. Yeah, I forgot about that Garvin match, actually. When uh, that, that should have been an honor, honorable mention for me. I think it's not talked about. You know, the Jimmy Garvin, Ric Flair, uh, yep. Cage yep. match. That one's one I considered, but I, I, I think, again, I'd have that in sort of the four-star range. I, I, I think that's probably like a poor man's version of that Flair-Luger match. It's kind of a similar, similar sort of storyline, but it mm-hmm. ends up with uh, Garvin passing out. All right. Uh, all right. Um, so... Should we start with our top 10 wrestlers list, or do you want to do a little uh, bonus uh, Wrestling Observer Award? What do you reckon? Um, we can start with our top 10 wrestlers list and then get into some of those. <laughs> right, this is going to be a bit dicey now. Uh, your number 10, I don't have. My number 10, you do have. So, number 10, uh, for you, uh, yeah. Yeah, my, uh, my number 10... Uh, <laughs> This actually, I'm surprised myself when I put it in there. But I, uh, I kind of tracked through my brain and thought about the matches that I liked and the stuff that we liked that I uh, that I watched. And for the stuff that we watched in the NWA, uh, I mean, I mean, some stuff is just it's sort of sad, but we just don't have enough. Like Slaughter gave a great one match performance, but that's yeah. all we got. Uh, same with Piper. Uh, same really with Valentine. So I, I just didn't think they justified being on a list like this. So uh, my number 10 is actually Bobby Fulton, which we discussed kind of him versus Rogers in the last show. And I did some more thinking on that. And I just think of the uh, top four midnight matches that we mentioned before. I would put uh, Fulton as the better worker in three out of the four. I think Rogers was a little bit better in the uh, bash match, but that's the only one that uh, I think I'd put Rogers ahead. Uh, Rogers wouldn't be too far behind, actually, on a list like this, so I think he'd be top 20. But uh, uh, Fulton, I thought, was very good in the uh, in, throughout the year. He had a couple of bad performances at the tail end of their run. I do know that he had a couple of bad performances, but I did think uh, with the four main midnight matches, he was outstanding. Uh, a shade better too than Stan Lane, who's not on my list. Uh, but uh, and then he also had a couple of fun matches like that, like that uh, Ron Simmons Eddie Gilbert match. I thought Fulton yeah. was very good in that. So that's I, that's really five matches that I would rank uh, four stars or better, uh, which I couldn't see the case of that for anybody else. Um, that was not on my list, so well, I thought Fulton was the best. That's got to be a that's a major surprise, Chad. That uh, Bobby Fulton's made of number ten there. Um, <laughs> um, I heard you on the on a place to be show recently, where uh, where the guys there, Scott and Justin, put put the question to you, who was the better at the Fantastics, and you said Tommy Rogers. So this is yeah, Tommy. that was. Uh, I, I mean, I think maybe overall career, maybe. I still go back and forth. I mean, like I said, Rogers is tough because I do think in the Japanese stuff, Rogers in some ways is better. Um, and in the uh, even in the early, I, I think Fulton took longer to develop because of the stuff I've seen from uh, from like world class 
Uh, I know the tags with the Midnights, from what I can remember in World Class, I think I'd like uh, Rogers better. But I do think Fulton definitely, I went back and uh, thought about the matches we saw him here, did some kind of dwelling on that, and I think Fulton was definitely better in the NWA run. So, but that, I still, I, I mean, honestly, if you tell me throughout their career which one I think better, I may, uh, if you ask me 10 times, I may give you 10 different answers. I think they're very, very close to each other. I mean, it, it may be a case that Rogers is the better worker overall, but Fulton gave the better performances, uh, maybe. I think, I, I, I do think it's certainly what we talked about last time, where uh, when Fulton was on, he was definitely the best member of the team and when he was off he was probably the worst member of the team so i think it's a, a pete versus consistency argument right well certainly a major surprise considering uh one or two of the other guys that you've uh, left off your list chad so we can talk about that a bit later um number number nine which we uh, again agree on uh, so if you want to introduce him. Yeah, uh, well, it's beautiful Bobby Eaton from the Midnight Express. Um, well, I don't know, like, can you ever wax lyrical enough about uh, Bobby Eaton? He's uh, a complete worker, isn't he? Apart from uh, apart from promos, he, he'll, he gives you everything in the ring. He, we've seen him work uh, babyface. We've seen him work heel. He's, uh, he's great at the kind of brawling aspects where he needs to punch or... Uh, do, do strikes or take things outside of the ring. He uh, he's great at the kind of dirty tactics. Uh, you know, healing it up when he needs to. He's he's his execution is great. His selling is great. I mean, what what else what else can you say about him? <laughs> yeah, I think he's uh, as far as a tag wrestler, he's kind of the total package. He can he can kind of mix it up and brawl. A great bumper. Had some aerial moves, which were pretty uncommon in the NWA. His elbow drop was great. Uh, rocket launcher work, too. Uh, so he, he really is sort of the total package as a tag worker. And I don't know, uh, you know, obviously he has the series with the Fantastics that we both uh, greatly enjoyed. And then the other stuff we saw, he had sort of kind of a variety of uh, you know, three and three and a half star matches, but but Bobby Eaton is a very consistent person uh, throughout those matches. Where he's generally, uh, you know, if it's him and Ricky Morton, he'll he'll be one of the two best in the ring, and uh, certainly versus the Fantastics, uh, you know, he's one of the two best in the ring, um, no matter which Fantastic is better that night. So. Right. Certainly worthy of the number nine spot. No, I, absolutely. And uh, I mean, if I, if I like on most other lists, I, I would have wanted to push him higher. But honestly, the competition is so stiff here that somebody as good as Bob Eaton is uh, is is number nine. You know, that's not a slight on him that he's quite far down that list. <laughs> um, all right. Well, an, another minor award now. <laughs> Best referee. Um, right, well, I'll give you mine first, because I think your choice is controversial, Chad, so you're going to have to justify that. Um, my uh, best ref is, um, t- of course, Tommy Young. Who else could it be? Five-time referee of the year, uh, Tommy Young. Uh, he, he's the referee in most of the major matches. 
okay. He, you know, gets in Flair's face quite a bit, but you know, they got a pop. So what can you, uh, what can you complain about? Yeah, I, I hate that spot. <laughs> I thought uh, Tommy Young put himself over too much. Uh, I, I certainly agree that if uh, this was put out to most everybody, you know. Certainly, I'd think 95 to 98% of the people would pick Tommy Young just because of his uh, notoriety with the promotion. But uh, but I, in good conscience, I didn't think I could pick him, uh, so I picked Randy Anderson. And the reason I did was, uh, I remember, one, I think Anderson takes the best bumps. Um, and, I, and I'll say I didn't think the referee in overall was very good in the NWA. I think that's one area where even... Uh, I, th- I think WWF was uh, was definitely better. And actually, somebody that I didn't think about a ton, but Mike could have been in contention, was Earl Hebner. Well, we saw him until he switched sides. Yeah. But uh, but I, I liked Randy Anderson's facial expressions in some of the uh, matches that we saw, and I thought he took the best bumps. And so as an underneath kind of... Uh, referee, he was my favorite, and he didn't have as many uh, annoying tendencies to me as Tommy Young, so that's why I selected him. <laughs> so what is what is Randy? Don't call me Pee Wee Anderson. Got above like Scrappy McGowan nor uh, <laughs> Nick Patrick. I'd say definitely his bumping. <laughs> yeah, bumping was great, and then just memorable facial expressions. Where <laughs> I know there was a couple of. Uh, uh, indications that I could recall with him sort of getting into it and uh, trying to enforce his way as the referee. Uh, I liked how he sort of took charge but let the wrestlers go. I mean, that's that's the main thing with Tommy Young is I just thought Tommy Young in some ways was way too uh, showy. Like he, 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 de- he definitely wanted to be noticed in some regards. That, that- there's one thing that Tommy Young does do that bugs me a hell of a lot, which is the the kicking of the uh, the, the spot where uh, a, he, a face has got a heel in some sort of like abdominal stretch or something, wherever, wherever it is, and the heel grabs the rope, uh, and he, then he he then kicks the uh, kicks the arm away. Yeah, he doesn't I, accept it as like breaking the hole. He'll I, kick I, the arm away. I, I don't like that. I, I don't understand that spot. Yeah, I However, don't. I, I don't understand that from a logic standpoint. It, however, he is the ref in so many great matches, um, and he makes a lot. Like he's a, he is quite an in-your-face ref, but he he has authority. I think he's got like he carries an aura of uh, being like a great ref, uh, which I guess Randy Anderson doesn't do. Um, the one thing I'll say about Randy Anderson is that he's probably the best ref for diving in from a position. Like he lost right. like. If there's a pin attempt or something, he'll dive over the two guys or almost over them to get into position. I think that's really cool. So, yeah, I mean, I just see Tommy Young as kind of. Uh, I watch a lot of Major League Baseball, and Tommy Young is kind of one of these, uh, I guess, like Joe West type refs. Who he's a famous ref in Major League Baseball that if a manager comes out and argue, he'll get into his uh, face and be jawing right there with him and. Uh, to me, it's uh, I, I, there's kind of a term for that that's called like an ump show where they try to show up the uh, athletes or the wrestlers. And I just felt like Tommy Young sometimes did that too much where he tried, tried to make it like an ump show in his matches where he was an integral piece of it. Uh, so that's, that's why. 
Okay. Right. Well, uh, shall we go? Shall we do some more matches, or do, do you want to do an observer? What do uh, let's do an observer. Okay. Um, how about best and worst gimmick? Something I haven't really thought about. <laughs> yeah, that sort of put me on the spot. Uh, certainly, uh, I mean, for me, best gimmick I think is. Let me think about this. Best gimmick, I'm actually going to go with... It's kind of tough because most of these gimmicks were not were formed elsewhere and sort of crafted there. But I do think the best gimmick is Jim Cornette uh, as sort yeah. of a mama's boy rich person. Uh, may or may not be gay according to whether Jim Ross is on commentary. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I, I think his kind of whole character is just somebody that you really love to hate. Like, I can't see many redeeming qualities in the way he presents himself and in the way uh, he, he sort of has that act down from the uh, flashy clothing to the tennis racket to the way he really cheers on his uh, guys, you know, the Midnight Express and the matches. And he was uh, willing to get involved, too, so... I think of what we saw in Crockett, he had one of the better gimmicks. Really good pick, Chan. Really good pick. <laughs> Do I, I have to pick one now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, it might be a cop-out uh, to go for the same. I'll try to think of somebody uh, different. Do, do you have a worse one while I'm thinking it? <laughs> yeah, well, right, right off the top of my head, the worst one is, uh, I guess, well, God, there is a couple. Ding Dongs, I think, has got to be <laughs> up there because I can't possibly see... How that anybody thought that could have worked, but that was a one-time thing, really, for what we saw. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do think I'd have to go with Ranger Ross overall because <laughs> this is a guy that was still hanging on in 1991, and it's just like it is over, dude. Like it, it had ran its course uh, in early 1989, and they still had him around for another year and a half. Uh, it, he's basically a ranger. That's that's all you got, and uh, right. and a, a ranger that does karate. So it it's it's a terrible gimmick. It's, it's Kung, about... Kung Fu Billy Graham too. Man, there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, a lot of candidates here. Jesus. Um, ranger Ross is a very confused gimmick, isn't it? Do you remember yeah. like he he doesn't know if he's like he does a bit of dancing. He's meant to be a military guy. He does kung fu. Like doesn't know where he wants to be. Um. Yeah, so my best gimmick, uh, Jim Cornette's a really good pick. If I had to go with someone else, in terms of like being really believable in their gimmick and playing the gimmick really well, um, I want to give a shout out to my man Ivan Koloff. Um, I think he's really good at that role. He's absolutely believable as you know Uncle Ivan, evil old Russian guy. Um, yeah, I quite like. What, what do you reckon, Ivan Koloff? Yeah. Good gimmick. Yeah, Ivan. Ivan's. Um... Certainly good at, uh, one, being a, a cold Russian character, and two, I think of what we saw of the Russians on these shows, he was really good at, even though he was getting his ass kicked a lot, he was really good at sort of portraying himself as the leader in some ways, too. Yeah. Uh, sort of the elder statesman of the team, so. So, he'd be, he'd be my pick for best gimmick worst gimmick i mean there's a lot of different options um i'm gonna say the dynamic dudes okay that's like not a bad choice either i hate as you know i hate all dancing um 
whether face or heel. Uh, heels especially shouldn't dance. Uh, and I'll, I'll say a bit more about that in a second. But what, the dynamic dudes, I mean, what what were they meant to be? Like two young guys who uh, wore like baseball caps and carried a skateboard to the ring. <laughs> I mean, were they meant to be cool in 1989? I mean, I, I, I can't really remember 89 that well, but yeah. I'm, I'm sure they were at least a couple of years behind the times. I just well, hate... It's like, they remind me of... Um, you know that uh, episode of The Simpsons where they introduced like the dog, with the dog <laughs> with the, sh- the dog with the shades. Do you remember that guy? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that that's the that's like the dynamic dude. You know, a face made by a, like an, a, commi- a committee to sell to kids. So uh, they're they're my worst. Um, but I do want to give an honourable mention to uh, Pistol Pear Shaska Watley as well. Because um, what was he meant to be? Like, especially when he was working as a heel. What was his gimmick? Yeah, there's a lot, uh, <laughs> a lot of bad gimmicks when you start thinking about it. <laughs> you, don't, you don't think of it as a very gimmick-heavy promotion, really, but there, there are quite a few of them sneaking under the, in the, in the lower card. Um, right. All right, well, uh, so let's move back to the matches then. Number 15. And uh, your number 15, I know, is a match that uh, you championed a lot, and it did not make my list. It would have it would have been in the honorable mention. I have no problem calling it a four-star to maybe four-and-a-quarter star match, but uh, go ahead and you can discuss it. Yeah, and I was pleased to note that, uh, I mean, we, we asked some of the listeners to uh, compile their own lists, and uh, our friend Ricky Jackson, I know, has put this uh, as number four in his overall in his overall top 10, which is pretty high. Um, but, uh, yeah, this is the Fantastics versus Eddie Gilbert and Ron Simmons, Clash 4. Great show. Um, now, I I mean, I thought this match was a real hidden gem um, of, a, of a match. I hadn't heard much about it going in. And, um, yeah, I, I really thought this is a match with interesting crowd dynamics where... Um, I mean, it did transpire later that it was face versus face, right? But clearly the Fantastics are getting heavily booed in this match. And they don't do anything to discourage those boos in any way, which you could say is, is you know, is a knock on them. But, I mean, Fulton especially just brings it in that match. He, they're brutal. Um, and, y- you know, I said that the Fantastics generally are better getting a beating than giving one out. This is one match where that's not the case. And Eddie Gilbert is the perfect face in peril as well um, to take that beating. So, yeah, I just think that's a different side to the Fantastics. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I can I can see that it may be a case of expectations versus how good the match is. Like, this match greatly expe- exceeds expectations. So, um, but yeah, I think it's... Um, I really do think... I mean, I, I would give it four and a half stars without any hesitation um great match it's it's certainly a well done face versus face essentially match where one team uh kind of took the reins and played the heel for the match so well when you talk about your number 15 because it's one that i've uh left off my list yeah my number 15 does come with a caveat too because uh it's, it's Barry Windham versus Ric Flair from the Crockett Cup 1987, uh, but it does have to be the unedited version. 
I think the edited version that we watched is around a three and three quarter to four star match, but I do think adding in the extra uh, body control work that we see really makes the finish make a lot more sense. Uh, this was a pretty hot feud throughout 1986 and early 1987 that kind of came to a culmination here. Uh, so that was good to see. And this, in a lot of ways, is sort of the version of their uh, Flair Steamboat from Wrestle War 89, where they had a real long, a couple of longer matches and was even doing 90 minute draws around the area. Uh, and then in this match, they kind of compacted it into a 24 minute, tightly worked uh, match that had all the highlights of the other ones. And. Uh, Thought it did a very good job. Thought it made Wyndham look like a main event player. Uh, probably one of the better title defenses from Flair's reign. Uh, once this little reign he was on here. And uh, so I very enjoyed this match a lot. Yeah, um, I, I, I didn't even put this in my honorable mentions. And that's not a... It's not necessarily a knock on... Uh, it's just... There's something about this combination I'm not, I'm not really digging for some reason. Um... I can see why people think uh, th- these matches are good, but I don't know. They're just not doing something for me for some reason. Um, I don't really have much more like it. Do you ever get that chat where they, they, I can't really put my finger on why, but it's just not not one. I don't know if I have any reasons for not for not rating those matches. It, it's not that I don't rate them. Objectively, I can say yes, that's a four four star, four and a half star match or whatever. But um, in terms of actually liking it, I don't. I don't know. Not not one of my favorite flare opponents, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so number number fourteen. I, I guess my comments uh, can um, would apply to your next pick as well. Jack. Yeah, uh, your number fourteen. I have a tad higher, so we'll hold off on that for now. But uh, my number fourteen, following up right after that, is the worldwide match that we watched uh, between Barry Windham and Ric Flair from 124.87. And uh, I think as a way to put Windham over as sort of a, a establishment, um, I did like the Sting versus Flair match a lot, but uh, I think this is a better, Wyndham's certainly a better worker than Sting, so this is a better match as a result of it. And this really had everything that I want from a TV title defense with Great commentary from Dusty. Uh, Flair feeling like a champion, but never necessarily. I mean, it, I think Flair definitely uh, felt vulnerable in this match, but he didn't feel like a wimpy champion, if you know what I mean, uh, which right. I think is a criticism of him in some ways. And Barry, uh, on the flip side, felt like a worthy challenger, and he didn't make a, a ton of kind of stupid, careless mistakes. He just was right on the brink of winning the championship. And I really like the finish, too, with the kind of uh, teasing of all the finishes. I thought they did a good job doing that here. And then at the very end with Wyndham with the belt and kind of slamming it on Flair, I thought was uh, very uh, satisfying, too. So this is one of my favorite TV matches that we watched, and I think uh, a very great match overall. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I have to. My, my big caveat there is that I still haven't seen the full version of the Crockett Cup match, um, so that is one. That's one, possibly one reason why I'm still, 
I I did say I'd go back and uh, have a look, but I I just it just so happened I decided to get back into AWA right as we were doing this, so um, I didn't get around to it. Uh, the worldwide match is a lot better in my mind, uh, but uh, it's just something like I don't know something about those matches that don't they're, they're not uh, scratching a particular itch that I have um, I I prefer Tully as an opponent for Wyndham than, uh, than Flair for some reason um, so with that in mind number 13 um, and again your number 13 is one that I have higher uh, but my number 13 is one that you had uh, ranked at number 16, and that is uh, Barry Windham versus Tully Blanchard from 123-1988. I thought this was a, a long match, uh, a definite showcase match for these two. Tully, I, I mean, honestly, it's kind of weird, but in 1988, Tully did not have a ton of more, uh, you know, he's really entering the twilight of his career, which is sad to say, but... Uh, it's it's a reality, and this match totally had a, a very focused game plan. We saw kind of the first inklings of teases of Barry Windham turning uh, with J.J. encouraging him, and then this probably had my favorite finish uh, as far as a clever finish of any of the matches uh, that we watched with the, with the J.J. Dillon finish uh, that now we've seen has been lifted elsewhere thankfully and uh, very very well done so this match is a great TV showcase match yeah uh, for, for me this is the my favorite Barry Windham single singles performance um, and a, and probably you're right the last great Tully Tully match I can think of singles match anyway um, does he have any later I, I don't. Think... Uh, well, I mean, singles matches. He does have the Clash One tag, but uh, oh. but yeah, as a singles competitor, I can't think of anything uh, really here or in his uh, WWF run with the Brainbusters. So no, well, he does have a match. I mean, uh, what Slamber Slamboree? He's got yeah. That. I mean, Slamboree '94 versus Fox a fun match. I would not yeah. call it uh, you know much more than good. But I mean, the April. 88 match versus Wyndham that was lower oh, right, on yeah, your yeah. list. I mean, that yeah. that's probably his last true one, but uh, I like this one a little better. You did too, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It, sometimes these things aren't tangible, um, and it, for, for some reason, Wyndham and uh, Tully clicks in a way that Wyndham and Flair doesn't for me. Uh, I'm not saying the Wyndham and Flair didn't click. I'm just saying that it, it's uh, it doesn't spark much interest. Like it doesn't interest me greatly uh, when I'm watching those matches, even though I can appreciate that they're really good. Um, so, uh, we reach number number twelve. Yeah, if you want to go ahead and introduce uh, your number twelve, that was my uh, number eighteen match. My number 12 was your number 18, and that is the, it was another match from last week, um, the six-man, Flair on Tully versus Lex, uh, Barry Windham and Sting uh, from the main event on uh, the 3rd of April, 88. 
And, uh, well, it's everything we said last time. Just a tremendous, fun, six-man tag match. Um, and sometimes, you know, that's what you want. I, I guess you, what do you call it? A sugar, I seem will refer to them as sugar rushes, right? I mean, that's a, just a tremendous sugar rush, rush match, isn't it? Yeah, I was, I was pleased to see uh, Loss recommend this to Will in that thread that he uh, posted because I think this is a match... Uh, you know, if we if we ever had to do, a, I guess uh, we we tried to do a sort of match of the week and it petered out. But uh, if anybody wants to say, I, you know, what's a match you're digging or what's a match you'd recommend me to watch, I think I'd go for this one because it's, I mean, it's it's all individuals that you're very familiar with, but it's a match I'm not familiar with, and I know it's uh, it was obviously well liked by Laws to recommend it to us, but I don't I don't recall hearing much uh, praise for this match before, and I thought it was fantastic as like a 15 minute sprint. And again, I think it's uh, as far as your horsemen versus any opponents iterations, this is a worthy addition to that whole feud that sort of carried from uh, 1985 to 1988, sort of your peak horsemen. Uh, period and and another great uh baby face lex luger performance too right now yeah i mean uh we talked about that recently so not too not uh, too much more to say but i really enjoyed that match uh a lot um your number 12 is that higher on my no you so your number 12 was my number 14 right and uh, that is Ric Flair versus Ron Garvin from Starcade '87, the cage match. Uh, very, very good. Uh, very intense. Uh, interesting crowd, which we went over uh, countless times. Uh, but just a very intense thing. I think uh, Flair, uh, one probably one of Flair's signature performances. I think Garvin was good. In this match, but uh, unfortunately for him, I don't think he really sort of knew how to react. Yeah. I think of the Flair versus Garvin matches, which we saw, uh, we saw four of them throughout these shows because I did watch the Super Towns of the Superstation match. Yeah, and uh, this one I think was the one where Flair was clearly better. Uh, but Gar- Garvin was still good, but he just he kind of seemed a little befuddled out there. And but uh, Flair gave I think a performance of the ages in this match. Regains his title. Looks like uh, definitely the the signature star of NWA in the eighties. So this is kind of an iconic type uh, type performance from him. Yeah, and it's just, it's a fit, it's a fitting one too because it was around this time if you remember that they start. I, I don't want to say they repackage Flair uh, in eighty eight, but they certainly start positioning him as what being like the that's when. Jim Ross really starts pushing like greatest of all time type tag on him in '88, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, he started getting a lot more hype. Yeah, and he he gives a performance that kind of justifies um, that sort of talk about him. Um, I also think that you know we've talked about our four faces of Flair theory before, Chad. I think this right. is what, I think well, this is one of the matches I reckon you could point to where you see glimpses of all four of those characters. Um, in uh in that match you know as he goes through different stages of desperation and hatred and um yeah it's just a great performance okay so number 11 
Yeah, your number 11 is uh, higher up on my list, but uh, my number 11, where did you have it ranked? The uh, 13. Four. Okay, 13. So it's uh, the first War Games. And uh, I think this is kind of a match that in some ways sneaks up on you because it's one that on the onset I didn't really think about, which sounds weird for the first War Games. But, uh, but uh, you know, again, if you're looking at horsemen versus opponents, you, this is one of the signature entries. And as far as a first match template, they really did it right here. Uh, a lot of violence, a lot of blood, a lot of ball, brawling, and uh, just a well-done kind of blow-off type cage match. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the only reason I had it slightly lower, only ever only ever so slightly lower, um, is because I, I, I do seem to remember a couple of a couple of dodgy Road Warriors moments during that match where they were just kind of like looking around thinking of stuff to do. It's tri- I mean, it's tremendous, and it it kind of sets the template as well for all every subsequent War Games match I can think of, right? Um, yeah, I'll be interested to see where this one ranks on like an eighty set because I can I can see this one in some top five play, but uh, um, it, yeah, it's a real good match. There's a, there's a War Games uh, DVD just just come out recently, right? Yeah, it came out uh, Tuesday. Actually. Yeah, and, uh, this is on it. It's uh, certainly a good set because I think that's one of the matches that consistently produced uh, very good versions of it. I mean, I, I obviously really loved the Great American Bash '89 match. It was a match I kind of tossed around as a top twenty, but couldn't justify it. But uh, but this match was great. The second War Games, you know, was not bad. It just had the War Machine, yeah. which kind of drug it down, and then the uh, as we get into the 90s, I think some of those iterations are some of the best matches of the 90s, uh, including yeah. one that uh, WrestleWar 2, the War Games there, I think is a contender for my number one match of the 90s. Overall, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the only thing I thought with this um, is that this is um, a kind of, of all the matches that we've been talking about, this is one of the better known ones, right? I mean, this is one that people would just think of um, off the top of their heads, without having seen like a ton of um, ton of stuff, would you agree? I, mean, I, th- I think I think so, but I do think sometimes it flies on. I mean, I think for me it flew under the radar, and I don't know if that's the case for other people. But I mean, when I first started writing down, I wrote down a short list uh, at work one day, and I, I forgot this one, and then I had to kind of go back through all the shows and remembered it. So I don't know. All right. I'm. I'm. What was my number eleven? Did I? Uh, let's have a look. Uh, you. You had one. That one higher. Yeah, I have that one higher. Yep. Okay. So, what have we got now? Um. Best manager. Best manager. Which uh, thanks uh, to Lost for pointing out. Uh, last show we were discussing kind of a two-man runaway race, and I. And uh, we both forgot Paulie dangerously, which I don't know for you, but he would be my number three. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but 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 to me, this is certainly a two horse race. And coming in, I would think uh, I w- I would have put Cornette as my clear favorite. Yeah. Uh, and and but we're just talking about the NWA, and I honestly think of the stuff we watched, I actually have JJ Dillon uh, edging him 
slightly, but this was one I really wrestled with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wrestled with it as well. JJ Dillon, legitimately great. Um, all sorts of cool stuff that he did, including, uh, that little, uh, bell ringing spot that we saw last time. Um, yeah. Um, a lot more active than you than the stereotype of him I uh, that I had in my head anyway. Right. Um, but I've gone for Jim Cornette, and the reason is is because he does so many great little things. You know, the one-liners to the camera, the stuff where he's just shouting at a guy in the ring and coming up with all sorts of stuff that makes you laugh. Um, but the main reason is that we got to see him work babyface as well, totally against type. And he's really effective in the feud with um, in the feud with uh, uh, Paul Heyman, with Paulie Dangerously, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and he really surprised me just how good he is as a babyface. So, but on that basis, I thought we saw a greater range of we saw Cornette in two distinct different roles, and he was awesome in both of them. So that's uh, that's why he's just edging it uh, ahead of J.J. Dillon there. Um, although it's really close. Yeah, I I, I think, uh, I mean, part of that for Dylan, for me, I, it, it could be that I was so surprised by how much I enjoyed him. And uh, But I, the reason I edged Dylan ahead of Cornette was just the memorable finishes that he did, both in the Luger turn match and the, uh, the Tolly Wendell match. I thought he had a lot of very interesting finishes, even in that, Starcade 87 match where he comes out to congratulate Flair uh, once yeah. he wins the belt, I thought was very memorable when Flair holds up the belt leaving. Uh, so, uh, you know, very, very close. They are definitely one and two, not much distance. And I, I do think now when you start talking about all time managers list, I was real weary of putting somebody like Dylan and that, upper echelon kind of top five and now i have no problem uh putting him up there with uh you know bobby heenan or jimmy hart from memphis yeah that type of stuff well, well i remember they did a whole um they did a whole you know those uh legends of wrestling roundtables they do um yeah i remember they did a whole one of them uh and at the end of it they did a mount rushmore of managers and, and in my mind that mount rushmore is Heenan, Jimmy Hart, and these two guys, Cornette and J.D. D- Dillon. There's, right. there's, uh, I don't really think there's anybody else in that kind of ballpark that I've seen, uh, unless Gary Hart's got like amazing stuff in Texas or something that is on this kind of level. Yeah, uh, which I don't, I don't really think he. Uh, I mean, personally, the stuff I've seen doesn't match up. So. Yeah. Slick not going on your Mount Rushmore? No. <laughs> I mean, honestly, dangerously, maybe number five. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 kind of weird that in the annals of time. I mean, and a lot of that has to do. I mean, sure, you have the three wise men of the East, which we, uh, yeah. I, I just have not seen enough of. I don't know technically if enough footage exists of like the Grand Wizard and Classy Freddy Blassie. To gauge, I know what uh, stuff I've seen of Albano. He really annoys me. So yeah, I I um I've got a feeling that uh, and I, I'm going to be seeing a bit more of those when I watch some of the 
79 WF stuff, I'm guessing. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Um, but I've got a funny feeling um, that this may come down to a taste thing. And those guys, I do not think, are going to be to, to either of our tastes, Chad. That's just my personal... Um, it, if I if I was to give anyone a chance of the, out of the three of them, it would be Blassie probably. Blassie, yeah. That's um, but yeah, I mean, from what I, they're very, <laughs> they're kind of very New York, which not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, there's a particular they're kind of loud and over the top, all three of them, from what I've seen. Um, right. Anyway. Uh, do you? I sprung an observer award on you last time, so do you want to spring one on me? <laughs> uh, well, I don't actually. Let's hold. I mean, I think the only two other observer awards that I really can think of that we certainly want to do is best and worst show. So right. we'll we'll hold those off a little bit. I I I, I saw most overrated, underrated. We could do that a bit later as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, that they they could be. Uh, although I could easily guess what what either of us are going to say. Um, all right, let's go for oh, where are we here? Top ten wrestlers. Yeah. All um, right, and, and yeah, number yeah. eight and seven picks. And uh, uh, let me look here. Where you, I know you had this guy on your okay. So yeah, your uh, your number eight is someone that I have just a shade higher. Um, yeah. So we'll talk about him in just a minute. But my number eight is. Ricky Morton, who you had at number 10. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, what can you say? Great, uh, one of the greatest baby faces of all time. Certainly, as much as Bobby Eaton knows how to work a tag, Ricky Morton knows how to work a tag, but also could have an amazing singles match and a match that we haven't talked about yet, we'll, but will be soon. Yeah. And he, I think he's just your stereotypical, if you want to talk about a template of uh, how to work as a baby face, Ricky Morton is that where you do have now people talk about working a Ricky Morton style, but there just has never been another one that's as good as him. Uh, you know, it's not for fault of trying. Tons of people have tried, and there's still just never been anybody, I think, as good a babyface tag worker as Ricky Morton. So. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't uh, disagree with any of that, Chad. The reason why I've gone a little bit lower is because, um, and I know uh, people may disagree with this, uh, but I don't think that he has that much cool offense to do i know people don't i know people say that off you know having cool offense doesn't doesn't matter <laughs> that much but um it kind of like i i kind of like to see it you know people criticize i've seen people all right I'll, I'll put it a different way in my many debates with people over rick flair i've seen him criticized for having weak offense and if rick flair's got weak offense then i don't know what ricky morton's got that's that's the way I'll put it. Any, yeah. Any comment? <laughs> well, I mean, I think he definitely has. Uh, I don't. I don't think either one of those, especially, have bad offense. So I don't. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't. I don't think his offense is bad. I just don't think he's like. I'm not sure if he's got a lot to it. You know, he he does the drop kicks. He does the arm drags. Uh, head scissors. Head scissors. You know, it's kind of like that. There's a lot of um, kind of light impact moves. I describe them as. I, I don't recall him having many kind of um, 
spots that look like they're going to hurt a guy that much, which which does actually play into you know the style of wrestler that he is. He, he's a lighter weight guy, right? He's a lot yeah. smaller than a lot of people he's going to go right. up against. So that kind of makes sense, but you know, um, it's a, it's a, it's a small thing, but we're talking uh, small margins here in this uh, kind of top ten. Um, all right, so number seven. Yeah, number seven. Uh, your number seven is someone that I can't have higher up on my list. But uh, my number seven is someone that you had at number eight, and that's Barry Wyndham. So we were very close on him. Yeah. And uh, I, th- I think he's definitely someone that, with the last two shows, really upped his case uh, because we got the uh, the matches versus Tully, the worldwide match versus Flair, uh, the turn match where he turn uh, where he ends up turning on him on uh, Luger, which was. Uh, you know, a great, great character builder moment. And then even uh, fun stuff like him versus Gilbert, which I enjoyed a good bit. So uh, I, th- I think that definitely sort of bolstered up uh, Wyndham's case to where he deserves to be on a list like this. Yeah. And uh, well, one thing I was going to ask you about, uh, Chad, I, I can't recall discussing with you too many times. How important is execution to you? That's one thing that Barry Wyndham's really, like, he's really smooth. He's really... Like he, he executes moves really well. Um, I, I mean, for, for me, it's important, but only to a certain extent, you know what I mean? Like I would never, if it's a, if it's a great story that is a little faulty in execution, I will give that match a pass more than a greatly executed match that doesn't make any sense. You know, like right. there's been some indie matches that have great execution of these crazy high spots. But I mean, like Michael Elgin versus Davey Richards right. from uh, from Ring of Honor WrestleMania weekend last year. That's a match that I know a uh, you know Dave Meltzer rated at five stars. Uh, my friend Justin Rosero, he loves that match. A lot of people on the Observer Board love that match. I hate that match because that is a match to me where certainly execution, uh, you know, and I, I love like an all-action spot fest type match if it's done well. That match yeah. was played for dramatic effect and you had, you know, top rope dragon suplexes and a lot of stuff executed well, but it was just... Uh, in place of a coherent story that was being told. So that's kind of where I stand on that. Yeah, I mean, in general, like, I remember, like, say, 80s Old Japan, right? A lot of those kind of uh, high-intensity matches doesn't have the greatest expe- uh, execution, right? I mean, their the, the suplexes are flying left, right, and center, but they're not always, like, it's not always textbook uh, execution. Would you say that's uh, fair to say, Chad? Yeah, a match I can think of right offhand that falls into that is the uh, 10 October 1988 Jumbo Tenry match, which I had ranked uh, in my top 15. Right. So, so, I mean, for me, I've got to the stage where I'll take the intensity and the the hatred and and the kind of feeling of the match over the execution a lot of times. But um, I I, I do feel I need to explain why I put Barry here uh, while not being that high on the flare matches. Um, I I think he's also a really good guy to take a beating. Like he um, he has this kind of glazed look on his face that that he does, uh, and not many people 
are able to get that look on their face. But Barry Windham, I don't know if, how he's able to do it, but uh, he, he does. He, and he, he makes it look like he's been through hell and back, um, even if it's only been 10 minutes or something. So I like uh, Barry for that. All right. Uh, are we on to... Where are we now? Let's have a look. Okay. Best announcer. Play by play. Yeah, and... Um... This again, I feel like is uh, to me uh, a case of over their career. The uh, person you put as your best announcer, I'd <laughs> certainly have higher. But of the stuff we watched, and uh, this was another one where that I think there was two clear cut candidates, and uh, I I went with Tony Schiavone um, actually over uh, over Jim Ross. And the, the my reasoning for that is I think Tony Schiavone was very good at kind of reining in. Uh, as much as I love David Crockett, he obviously could get carried away at some point. So I think Tony was very good playing off David Crockett, uh, kind of reining him in. Uh, we didn't see a ton of it in the footage we watched, but I know I love Tony as a uh, interview person in the studio with his stuff with Flair uh on interviews i think as well good and i i just like uh i like shivani of the footage we saw is kind of getting over the storylines he felt invested he made the matches that were big feel big uh so that's why he was my top choice hugely controversial mr campbell <laughs> i think <laughs> i mean uh I, don't, I just don't know that on the eighties. I, I cannot see if you go back and watch. I think I think both of our uh, color guy, which is uh, somebody that we uh, we we agreed on. I, I find that as a more controversial pick, actually. Well, I mean, you, you say that, but I'm looking. Ricky Jackson, uh, best play. Yeah, play, well, but, but you're Ross. talking about a small subset. <laughs> I, mean, Did, I mean, Rick House also picked Jim Ross. I mean, that's a small. I know that's only two guys but yeah, I, I, oh i would definitely think that most people would pick jim ross but i mean i don't want to be <laughs> brash but i think that's people that just would put it that didn't watch it i mean if you we both watched it and you but, put you pick jim ross and that's fine i think that's a fine choice but i cannot think of uh like i don't know what i would consider jim ross's signature call of the stuff we saw i mean he came on in the onset and, uh, I mean, to me, his best stuff was his commentary with Cornette, Ross's yeah, best yeah, commentary with yeah. Cornette, which was really good. But he also had matches where uh, I thought he was very snarky. I thought he sort of buried the com- uh, commentary and the action with what was going on in the ring. Right. And I still don't feel how kind of I'm smarter than the average viewer and me and you are in on this joke. I don't feel how... Uh, I still don't know how I feel about that. And I do think Tony as a person that was always there to get over the product, to get over the workers, to get over the storylines. He did a very admirable job and he could go emotional when he wanted to. I mean, Ross uh, in the flare steamboat matches has the great call uh, with the, you know, this is the NWA action. Yeah. But uh, but Tony could get emotional as well, like in the uh, I Quit match and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I mean, my, my, the reason I picked Jim Ross is that I just think the greatness of his best calls. Um, I can remember the, uh, when he's talking about when 
I think he's a person who helps make the Terry Funk feud, for example. Um, all through the the Flair Steamboat stuff, he really gets over the importance of the NWA title and the history. And I don't know. I, th- I think that he's a good guy for for um, making you feel the importance of something that's meant to be important. Um, so I do. I mean, if if you were going to point to the peak Jim Ross years. Where else would you be pointing? Uh, I mean, I, well, as we'll see, I don't think he's very comfortable when he's with Jesse Ventura in 92 sort of time. Um, I don't necessarily go along with the idea that he was that. I mean, I don't really, I didn't really love him during the raw years. Uh, I think he became a bit self-parodic during that period. Uh, you know, Stone Cold. Stone, like, I'm not really into that stuff so much. Um, so, like, if I had to pick to a period where Jim Ross is at his best, it'd probably be now. Probably be here, in the late 80s. Do you disagree? Mm, I, I mean, I like his Ross stuff. I like his Mid-South stuff. I mean, I think Ross is somebody that I've liked throughout his career. I would say probably his peak is uh, 89 through 91. I think he's still very good in 91 right. uh, with Tony as a color guy, actually. But uh, but I, I do think some of, his, some of the matches from 1990 that I can recall offhand are some of my favorite Ross calls, including one we'll get to very shortly with the uh, Flair Luger Wrestle War match. So. Okay. All right. Well, controversial picking Shivani over Ross, but I, I can see, I can understand that. And I, I know that you were, I think you were a little bit more bugged by Jim Ross's kind of smarky, snarkiness at times. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, I think Ross in the big moments can call him better than anybody. But I think if, if Ross is disinterested and not, you know, if he's not invested in what he's watching, I think, uh, think uh, Tony was definitely better. All right. So best color. Yeah, this is one we agreed on, and uh, this is somebody that won Worst Announcer of the Year during the period that we thought he was fantastic for the Observer. So, uh, yep. But we both agree that it's David Crockett. Um, I mean, the only choice I could think of maybe in competition is Cornette. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but, but Crockett, you know, I don't think we have to say much here. Everybody knows we both <laughs> love Crockett. Yeah. Highly excitable. Uh, certainly was somebody that would push the product to the moon. Uh, seemed like a genuine fan, but also brought up good points. So he was uh, kind of the total package as a color guy. Total lunatic. Yeah. Um, and a guy who's actually converted. Like, I was always somebody who, who'd argue that um, you need a heel color guy uh, for the balance. Um, and uh, I, I always like, I mean, I like that style that's uh, brought over from WWF, you know, where you've got a heel guy and a face guy. Um, but David Crockett, you know, fantastic, just fantastic as a face color commentator, I th- in my view. Um, so, yeah, he's uh, he's brought me around to the idea that you don't always need a heel guy there. Um, I mean, the, the, the other person I've seen mentioned is Bob Coddle. Uh, well, you know what I think of him, but uh, was he in the running for you at all? Uh, I mean, I'd certainly put him behind both. Uh, I'd actually put him behind Crockett, Cornette, and even when Tony's on color. Um, yeah. I like all those better. So. Yeah. Um, I, I do 
I do think that if we'd had more of Jim Cornette on colour, he would have been in contention. Um, but we didn't. It's only really a couple of shows, isn't it? But he's yeah. really he's really good um, on those. Falk too, I think, is somebody that's good. The uh, glimpses we got of Falk with him uh, on the Clash Six Flare Steamboat match, he's really good. And his uh, his portion in Starcade '89, I thought he was good too. All right, so we're, we're going to hit the top ten for our top twenty matches now, and uh, I'm I'm hoping that there's going to be some that we haven't that we're able to discuss so yeah and then and this for me is when we uh i mean war games is probably uh my number 11s where i start flirting with five stars yeah uh every everything else from here on out for me is if it's not five stars it's just one step below it so it's it's right on the brink number 10 uh your number 10 is one that uh I have a good bit higher up, and uh, comparatively, my number 10 is one you have a good bit higher up, so we'll hold off. Actually, uh, both of our number 10s, the other one has is the number three match, yeah. which is kind of interesting, so uh, we'll kind of hold off on that now. Number nine. Uh, comparatively, your number nine is one I have just a tad higher up, but my number nine is one that uh, was on your honorable mention list, but... One we talked about a couple of weeks ago is certainly a match I very enjoyed, and that's the Rock and Roll Express versus Ivan Koloff and Crusher Khrushchev from uh, 7 9 1985. Uh, lengthwise, it's comparable to the Midnights versus Fantastics. I thought as a uh, structure for a tag team match was just something that I've really paid attention more. Uh, one with these shows, two with the AWA. Uh, I, I kind of thought I'd about a year and a half ago, I'd sort of soured on tag wrestling. I guess I kind of just thought that uh, most of what I'd seen had been there. Uh, This match really helped kind of reconfirm my love for it and uh, reestablish my love, you know, sort of how a structure can be done. Uh, Fantastic match. goes long. Khrushchev's a little... And uh, while he's certainly the fourth person in this match, I thought he was serviceable, and the other three gave a great performance. I think this is the best uh, Robert Gibson performance, clearly. I love how Ivan works as the leader of the team in this match. He constantly, uh, at the threat of feeling like the tide's turning, they tag out, which I think is insanely smart. And then uh, Morton, of course, gives one of his great uh, baby face, face in peril performances. So to me, this is a match that has it all. Yeah, and uh, as bizarre as it sounds, I don't necessarily disagree too much, uh, even though I don't have it in my top 20 at all. Um, I just thought that uh, Khrushchev's stuff was a bit bordering on boring at times uh, for me, um, which was enough to kind of when you're talking about this insane level of quality it's just enough to to tip it one way or or the other so but i wouldn't object to anybody pointing to this as a textbook example of a of a a great great tag match so i i don't dissent too much um number eight yeah, I think this one might have a little discussion because I'm I'm guessing you're probably surprised that this did not crack my uh, top twenty. Uh, well, uh, to be honest, I I saw it coming. 
I, I had a feeling you weren't going to include this in your top twenty um, because you'd kind of we'd we'd kind of discussed this a little. Yeah, bit. we talked about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it's um, the final conflict: Slaughter and Knoedel versus Steamboat and Youngblood from uh, from '83. Um, so this is my number eight, and uh, well, I mean, what can I say? It's just a fantastic match. Um, it does get talked about, I think, and if you hang around in the right circles, um, it's a match that I'd expect to see there or, the, or thereabouts in a DVD-R um, 80 set type setting. Um, it's got a fantastic, uh, probably one of the best heel in peril, peril segments you can I can remember seeing, where as Steamboat and Youngblood basically kick the shit out of Knodel for the first 15 minutes or so. It's got one of the greatest holy ship kind of bumps I've ever seen from Slaughter jumping off the top of the cage, which mm-hmm. should, which should be discussed as much as Snooker Snooker's uh, bump from uh, like a spot from a year earlier that gets replayed again and again. Um, Actually, this uh, predates it. it this yeah, this predates it, right? So yeah. I mean, um, it should get talked about as much as that does. I don't see any reason why why it shouldn't. Um, brilliant performance from. Uh, slaughter as a one-match one wonder for us on these shows, mm-hmm. um, and uh, plenty of blood and brutality, and yeah, it's just a great, great match. Why isn't it in your top twenty, Chad? <laughs> uh, certainly a great match. Uh, I, but I, I think it's a match that I love the uh, final, probably fifteen minutes of, and have a struggle with the first eighteen minutes because one is uh the the hill and peril segment I think goes on a little too long uh, made Knurdle look very inferior which I know was a narrative throughout the match but was not one I was extremely fond of and two I just think in a cage match setting it again goes into the fact that uh, I I do like my cage matches to be kind of gory violent gritty um, and there's a match coming up that I think utilized the cage and also uh built to the cage spots better than this and also include a lot of wrestling which was one of my favorite matches now i can say of all time i've watched it again but uh, this match i thought steamboat and youngblood kind of doing their arm drags and their whole technical wrestling routine in this setting and it not really building to much of anything kind of didn't hit the mark for me but the final 15 minutes is certainly uh, fantastic. Some of the best stuff we've seen. And overall, I mean, I'd have it at four, four and a quarter. It's in my honorable mentions. Uh, it'd probably be like a top 30 match for me. But, uh, but yeah, I do, I do think it'll be like a top five contender for a lot. Um, and it wouldn't be for me. So that's why. Interesting, but considered uh, view there, Chad. What, what was your number eight? Uh, my number eight is one that you had at number 19, and that's uh, Roddy Piper versus Greg Valentine from Starcade 83. Uh, kind of, <laughs> as we go from one, I mean, that match, the final conflict match got gory, but uh, but this one started from the onset. This was just a, uh, a gory, gritty, very gritty match that uh, I like better each time I watch it. It's a match the first time I watched it I enjoyed. Second time it was great. You know, now it's one of my favorite matches of the 80s. 
and uh, just great stuff. I love the way they utilize the stipulation. Dog collar stipulation is one that I think can go either way. Uh, sometimes it can be used well. Sometimes it's less than wonderful here. I thought it was used greatly with the kind of pen attempts using the chain and using the collar and the chain as a weapon and uh, having them two connected, I think, really contained the violence and made it sort of frantic that they couldn't get away from each other. So that sort of amplified the intensity of the match. So it's it's an amazing match. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it a lot too. Uh, and, I mean, I've seen it a few times, this particular one, because it's, it's another, I'd say, high-profile match that I would also expect to see way up there in a in a kind of final DVD-R-type setting, Chad. You'd, you'd expect to see that top ten as well, right? Uh, this one. Mm, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if this would technically be a. Uh, a, a, a I mean, I would expect. It's so tough, I think, when we compare these things because honestly, PWO is a uh, is a little. It's a, a PWO and DVDVR are a little contrarian, I guess you can say <laughs> right. from traditional views because I know. Uh, like I mentioned before, my uh, our buddy uh, Matt on the on the uh, Bigelow34.ProBoards.com board, he did a review of this show, and he had uh, I mean, he had Starcade. He did a review of Starcade '83, and he liked this match. But uh, and he's again pretty tough with ratings. But he he had this match as a three and a half star match. Oh, right, okay. And that's, by that's... comparison, he has the main event at four stars. Right, okay. Uh, so so that I do think this is a match that I do think in the circle of PWO and Death Valley Driver would get more play right. uh, than in other areas. Because, I mean, there's not a lot. Uh, I mean, I guess there's not a lot of ebb and flow here. It's just it's two guys that hate each other punching each other. You know, I mean, there's not a ton of, uh, you know, long-winded narrative spots and stuff like that. But uh, but for what it is, I think it's one of the best iterations of a match like that. <laughs> well, I have to uh, respectfully uh, d- d- disagree with your buddy, Matt, there. <laughs> um, th- I mean, I-, I know I put it 18, but three and a half seems a bit stingy on that. Um, th- the reason that I have this match a fair bit lower is that I do think it's one that is hurt by a very anticlimactic finish. Um, if you remember, he uses the doesn't he use the chain as part of the pin attempt? Isn't that what? what well, he does, but I, I did like the finish though because he does actually sock him with the chain, which I appreciated. Right. Uh, uh, so the chain is used as a uh, <clears throat> as, as a I mean the gimmick was worked into the finish. Yeah, I, 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 I like for me, it left me feeling it could have gone a, maybe even gone a bit longer or um, had a bigger finish, um, which some older school fans may may think is like a like me being quite kind of modern uh, in a way, expecting a bigger finish. Um, but uh, I kind of want one. Um, so that's why I've uh, that's why. It's a fair bit lower for me, but I wouldn't uh, object to anybody putting that in their, you know, top five, top ten type arena. And I would, I'd expect to see it there. Um, I mean, I, 
my view on what people think is perhaps skewed a little bit by the sort of places I hang around on, like uh, by PWO. But um, that that is a match that people talk about, right, Chad? Uh, Piper Valentine. It's like uh, uh, I mean, I really don't think it's as hyped as you think it is. Right, okay. I mean, I honestly don't think if you uh, like if on the Observer board, if you said give me ten you know, NWA matches, I would be surprised if that would be uh, one that they would throw out. I mean, Sting versus Flair from Class 1, I think certainly would be thrown out more than this one. I mean, it's a match people know because it's on a huge show, but I don't think it's a match people, when they start talking about the top, top of the line stuff, it's one uh, most places people would point to. Um. Did you push let me the- let me actually go back and see. Uh, hold on a second. I'm gonna see how Justin and Scott ranked this match because they actually reviewed this uh, show as well. It's been a couple of years, and I know uh, we usually have some varying opinion from them. But let's just just get another opinion on how they would rank that. Uh, okay, yeah, they both rank it. See, Justin ranks this as a three and a half two. And uh, Scott has it at four stars. My. So, so again, I think this is a match that a lot of people put certainly in the good level. And uh, <laughs> I, I won't even say, uh, well, Justin ranks it the same as the main event and uh, has the tag match, the Briscoes versus Steamboat and Youngblood, uh, just I, a shade lower. I'm going to have to look at our buddy Matt Pettycord now. I'm interested in this. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm having a look up. Uh, this is the pdrwrestling.net uh matt pedicord three and a half yeah so this this is something (laughs) man i i'm really surprised by that okay fair enough um so speaking of sting uh flair did did either of us uh i i considered it i knew you wouldn't um i mean i considered the clash match uh, it's, I mean, it's, I think it's a great match, but, uh, I, I, I couldn't find a spot for it in the top 20. Nah. Okay. So, all right. Well, that's a real big surprise uh, for me. There's so many people, uh, give that match three and a, three and a half. Um, number seven. And, uh, your number seven is one. I think I had what? Number 16, maybe. Let me look. Yeah, I had it. It was my number 16. So you can go ahead and talk about it. Um, What was my number seven? It's uh, uh, Ric Flair versus Ricky Morton from the Great American Bash Tour. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we talked about it at the end of last uh, yeah. the last show. Just just a great match. Um, not a lot more to say. Do you see a dark side of Flair? Um, I mean, what I was saying about Ricky Morton not having great offense, uh, offense he certainly gives gives Flair some in that match. So uh, two guys that are great at selling, uh, blood everywhere, viciousness. One uh, Probably one of Flair's greatest title defenses that I can think of. So, um, yeah, number seven. I think that's a just, uh, a just ranking for that one. Yeah, it's a great match. Probably my least favorite finish of the top 20. So that's... Yeah. Uh, that's why it's where it's at. So true, but true about the finish, um, I guess. Which that seems a bit rich uh, for me coming uh, after criticizing the the last one for the finish. But um, yeah, I just think the I just think that's a case where I think the match preceding the finish is a shade better than Piper Valentine for me. So 
it's, it's given more time for start, which always helps. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your number seven? Uh, My number seven is uh, Ric Flair versus Terry Funk from Clash with the Champions Nine. It was your uh, number nine match. Right. And that's another one that we recently talked about, but there's uh, now this is a match that you were talking about the uh, the Starcade '83 match. I think this is a match that definitely on the outside would be uh, one that's would be, get high contention and high praise from uh, most uh, outsiders looking in at this stuff if they were to recommend it. And it's a a great match again. I don't think it has one of the better finishes of the matches we saw here, but it's no. a it's a it's a decent finish. But uh, I think the preceding it with the really to me the sequence that is my favorite is the outside work with uh, Funk waylaying on Flair and then him getting sent thrown across the table and flying around everywhere, getting crotched on the guardrail. Just a great kind of gritty uh, brawl that really felt like a good culmination to this feud for me and then transitioned Funk into uh, his run being over and him going back to being an announcer. So uh, uh, I I think this is a really good blow-off and a really good instance of Babyface Flair, one of the best instances we see of Babyface Flair. So. Yeah, I just having a look at Pep, uh, Matt Pedicore there, um, who, who I wouldn't call a, an outsider by any. I mean, he's not part of the P, you know, the PWO type uh, community, but he's certainly a guy who's uh, who's up on his NWA. Uh, right. He he gives it five stars, right? Right. So, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, for, for me, it's just missing out on that five star rating because that finish does feel anticlimactic. Um, I think both of us thought that. Um, one thing I will say is that it does put the figure four over after right. uh, after seeing it kind of broken so many times. It reestablishes it as a legit finisher for face flare then. Um, yeah, it's a great match. I mean, there's, there's, I don't know what more can be said. It's just it hurts ever so slightly by the, by the finish. Um, and I, I do, I do wonder if the hatred levels are quite there with Funk and Flair. Um, as compared with, say, the Garvin matches, or like it, I, I don't get, or, or even the Steamboat uh, Flair matches, where you have that, you know, it, it's great work between Funk and Flair, but I just, uh, I do wonder about that feud, like what the relationship is there, because Flair it seems kind of a little bit aloof doing the whole thing. Oh, I, I, I kind of disagree with that. I think the hatred there is as strong as in the other two feuds. Um, I, I, I see it as very kind of chippy work, which I enjoy. Yeah, I mean, no, no, I, I, I think from from Funk's end of things, it's uh, it's tremendous. That I mean, that everything that Funk does during that feud is tremendous. I, I just think like it's a weird one where Flair feels a bit ambivalent during the whole. Like, I, what's his position in that feud? What's he trying to? prove or show or I, I mean i what's his game i guess uh, i mean i think yeah i mean i think in some regards it's i mean i think this is the best baby face performances he had and he wants to show that it's kind of his territory he's the champion he's the best but he's proven it in kind of a different way as a fired up baby face which to me is yeah. very uh novel yeah no no i can i can see that 
Yeah, no, okay. Um, yeah, I, I just, I mean, I, I guess I feel that it's like, it feels like Terry Funk is like the real antagonist there. The he's catalyst, the, yeah. Yeah, he's the one really bringing that feud. And Flair doesn't feel as as invested as as he may have been in some of the other feuds that we've seen. Some of the feuds where he's clearly the antagonist then, if you want to put it that right. way. Right. Um, still, though, you know, this is... Uh, greatness so i can't uh, i'm not going to knock it too much um are we are, are we going to go to number six here yeah we'll go to number six here to uh, finish out and then we'll go to our top five your number six is one i have just a tad higher uh my number six was your number 11 and that's the great uh, clash one tag team title match between arn and tolly versus luger and Wyndham. uh arn and tolly were a great team for the amount of time they were together this, to me, is their signature uh, performance together. And this is, if you want to talk about the Russians versus Rock and Roll Express as a template, I think this, again, can be used as much as a template as this was a action-packed 11-minute tag match uh, along with that Russians and Rock and Roll Express match and the uh, Clash 17 Enforcers versus Steamboat and Rhodes match. I can't yeah. think of... Uh, Many more tag matches I like better than this one. Uh, 11 minutes, action-packed, brilliant finish, huge pop. Uh, again, you had J.J. going nuts, trying to dive in at the finish, but he can't break up the count. We have new tag champions, uh, which was short-lived, but a, a great moment. So I don't think there's a ton to say about this, except it's a brilliantly kind of structured match. And a, and a third great babyface performance from Luger. Yeah. Um, you know, he had the uh, that six man Starkid eighty eight and that one I'd say I'd point to as three really good face Luger performances. Um and weirdly I think he's even better as a heel. So um even though not many of his heel matches seem to make it on uh, on either of our lists, which is interesting. But in my mind he's better as a heel. Okay, and uh so my number six, um that was that was my number six, right? Uh, no, your oh. number six is my number four. Right. So we'll okay. Get to it in just a second. Okay. So where where are we here? Uh, we've got um, best feud. Best feud. Uh, good many candidates here. I think. Um, I think you could go uh, Flare Steamboat. I yeah. think you could go uh, Flare Funk. Absolutely. And, uh, I, I mean, I, th- I do think there's a good many uh, ways you could turn for this. But I actually, maybe kind of controversially, went Ric Flair versus Ron Garvin. And my reasoning for that was I think uh, I did watch the Super Towns on the Superstation match and thought it was great. I think their worldwide uh, match is fantastic and then they had uh spoiler alert two matches of mine that finished in my uh, top 20 uh so i think they had four four star or better matches together i love the dynamic between the two i think uh garvin as a character for me takes the best aspects of uh of uh kind of what Flair versus Dusty and Flair versus Steamboat means to me. I love Garvin's arch type uh, better than those two. Yeah. So I, I I just like these two together. But again, I think that's controversial because uh, 
give another shout out to uh, Matt. I've discussed this a little bit with him lately. And uh, he, he did say that he thought that there was maybe a little kind of cultural difference because of Garvin. Uh, he, he's from Australia. Right. So uh, he did. I mean, I, I was wondering with you. I mean, but I, I mean, I guess England can be kind of blue collar, too. But that I mean, that's. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I should say that I'm probably not your typical, uh, typical, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't want to represent my fellow countrymen because I realize that I'm quite a weird guy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think there's definite um, parallels between like a Ron Garvin character and somebody you'd find in the old British working class. Right. Um, you know, uh, we had, uh, you know, miners and dockers and people like that in this country and um you know clearly ron garvin is an american version of that but uh as a as a foil for rick flair i can't think of uh you know many better people really he's like a perfect opponent for him um the, the, the only thing i wonder about that feud again is how much is happening outside of the ring there um because i don't think ron garvin's a guy to give you a great promo or any or anything uh, uh well yeah not uh he he can be serviceable, but not up echelon. So, yeah. right. But as I, as I mean, like I haven't. I don't know how much we've talked about this, but my view is that Flair is like you know, best promo, best charisma. You know, I I just think that if you were to write down stats for each guy, Flair is almost off the charts on all of those kind of outside of the ring aspects. Mm-hmm. You know, like that there are only a few guys that I'd put on. You know, the Rock, say, is probably on that level. Uh, you know, so, like, really, you just need you just need somebody to fit the mold and Flair can do the rest a lot of the time. So, right. um, having said all that, my choice for best feud is, uh, is Lex Luger. Um, because it's one of the few times we see uh, Flair go against a guy first as a, first as a heel and then as a face. Right? Yeah, we uh, in the uh, Starcade '89 match, he's uh, face and Luger's the heel, and in the Starcade '88 match, uh, Flair's the heel, Luger's the face, and also the Great American Bash. Yeah. And uh, I really like his, I really like his character doing all that stuff where he's saying, um, you know, when he's on the speedboat and he's in that, just wearing that stupid red jumper, um, like Flair's like really kind of like I'm the greatest here. You know, and I'm only going to give this kid a couple of chances. Uh, I, I kind of quite like his attitude during that whole, during that whole feud. Um, and then when they, when they, when there's the turnabout in kind of topsy turvy land in late '89, um, you know, Lex Luger's kind of really developed his character to the point where he's a consummate dickhead heel by that point, and Flair's like a kind of legend. So I just think it's a very multifaceted feud. And I'm very look, very much looking forward to watching the rest of it play out in 1990. So yeah, that'd be my only caveat uh, against that is I love the feud, but I think some of the best uh, entries in it are in 1990. So so yeah, I, I, both uh, kind of uh, outside of the box choices are from us there. I think right, Chad. Um, yeah. but I, I do think that um, the Steamboat one is another for the ages type. Uh, type feud as well in terms of perfect foils for loot for flair for different reasons he's a different type of foil i guess but we talked about that at length uh uh on one of the shows 
Um, so, whilst uh, top ten wrestlers now, six and five picks. Yeah, and uh, you can go ahead with your number six if you're there, because that is somebody that uh, was right on my outside of my top ten. So, uh, well, when I saw Bobby Fulton on your list, this is the guy I was wondering how you could uh, leave him out. It's Arn Anderson. Right. Uh, now, Arn is a guy who may not be in a million five-star matches, um, but he's somebody who's always entertaining. He's never bad. Uh, in it, like I can't remember any bad Arn Anderson performance. He's somebody I can sit, I can watch all day long. I love him. I mean, uh, yeah. So, I mean, this is something I did want to ask you a little bit with uh, with your uh, picks, Chad. I, I often go with the uh, wrestler, the kind of what they bring to the table, what their kind of core stats would be, if you want. Um, as much as I go with the amount of good performances, are your rankings here based on the matches we've seen or on um, how kind of good they are in general, I, can, I guess? Um, yeah, I mean, for this, I rank basically on the footage we watched. Uh, so right. not nothing uh, outside of that. And that, that that's really what Anderson kind of faltered to me because he was in some great stuff but uh i mean if you if you look at my top 20 he wasn't in a ton of matches he was in the tag yeah, but he was he was in the uh in the war games and in that six-man tag but uh i didn't think he was the best performer in any of those matches and then as you get further down the list i i would certainly put the uh, midnight express uh, versus Fantastics matches and that Gilbert Simmons match up right. with almost anything we saw from Anderson. Yeah, well, I th- I, this is kind of what I was getting at, though, Chad. Like, um, so Anderson, from my memory, we saw him in a lot of very solid three-star style matches, which haven't made our top twenty list. And he is like really good in those solid three-star type matches, um, and. Like we like consistently over all of the footage that we've seen, I feel like Arn is a really strong performer, even if he's not always in the best matches. Whereas you you seem to be picking based on number of great matches appeared in or something like this. Uh, no, I don't. I mean, I don't think. Uh, I actually don't think Arn was the best performer within the match in a lot of them. I mean, I think right. that's probably my biggest caveat with that. I mean, Arn is somebody that I really. Uh, I mean, coming in, I'd have thought he'd had a chance at my top five. Right. Um, and I don't want to say that I dislike Arn Anderson. I think he's very good. But I don't think I, uh, watching this footage, I think a lot of his kind of annoying tendencies crept in a little bit, where he always did the thing where he got crotched, you know, where he goes, he has the person in the arm lock, and he has the uh, thing where he gets crotched on their knees or whatever, which is... You know, it's a hilarious spot, but we see it every match. I think there's some formulaic things with Anderson that where others can deviate. I mean, I'm, I will say with my wrestler rankings, I'm a big proponent of deviation. Right. And Fulton did have great wrestling performances. He had good brawling performances. He played both a face and a heel. Uh, we only saw Anderson as a heel. 
Right. Uh, so that kind of throws into that too. The, the 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 one last thing I want to say about Arno is that um I really feel like his peak years are in the nineties, um especially like ninety two, ninety three sort of time where he's uh he's kind of positioned within the promotion as a great tag guy, and even like as late as ninety five and ninety six, I really think that Arn is kind of his real best stuff is probably a bit after this. Would you agree? Um, trying to think. Ninety, he was good in the tags versus Doom. I have no problem with that. Ninety one's kind of a interesting year because it's a mess, kind of all over the board. Uh, but he certainly was good when he teamed up with Zabisco, and then uh, his Dangerous Alliance stuff is very good. So I, I mean, I do think Orn had a very consistent career throughout, uh, like eighty three to even like 94 or 95 or so. I don't think you can point to a year for Arn and definitively say that was his, you know, peak performance year. So that's kind of a feather in his cap that he had, uh, you know, a decade of very consistent work. Right. Okay. What was it? What was your number six? My number six is somebody that you have a number five. So uh, you can go ahead and talk about him. Uh, well, uh, I have Terry Funk as my number five. Um, we don't. He. It's only a shortish run, um, but he is fantastic during it. Um, and I would say, during that period where he's active, he is the best guy in the promotion. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think for his short peak, he won a couple of MVPs for both of us, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're really only talking about, like, what, a five-month reign, but he really made the the most of it because he had uh, uh, two all-time classics, a good match with Steamboat. I mean, a very good match with Steamboat. Maybe a tad disappointing given the circumstances, but still very good. Uh, and he was just sort of integral in that late half 89 feud with Flair. So I think uh, this is a case where his peak... Uh, and we did see a few performances from him kind of overweighed uh, the other guys that had a lot more uh, stuff that we saw. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, re- he's so, um, I like his character during that stretch as well. Like, he's kind of like, he, he comes in presenting himself as a kind of respectable former champ, and then you can see, like, the, jealousy start creeping in and they need to like i really think that t- that turn on flair is great um and he gives us a lot of great moments during that whole thing you know the plastic bag over the head the um the kind of like during the matches how he can kind of flip from being uh you know this crazed middle-aged guy to uh someone who uh someone who has some slight chicken shit tendencies to, mm-hmm. you know, he's a great character, isn't he? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I just think he's, uh, yeah. If he'd been, the only thing preventing him going higher is the shortness of the, the shortness of the run. And, uh, that brings us to your number five. Surprise. Yeah, he's not no- number one. <laughs> uh, my number five is your number seven. It's Lex Luger. Uh, we, I think we really saw, uh, uh you know, Put put away any claim that Luger's not a good worker, because we saw him versus uh, Flair. He was pretty fantastic. We saw him. 
have decent stuff with Sting, not great, but I didn't think Luger was terrible in it. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you one match, though, that to me kind of resonates in my mind. I mean, we obviously have the tag stuff with him and Wyndham, too. But uh, the one match that really resonates in my mind that I watched again last night, and I really wanted to put it in my top 20, but I just couldn't because it was clipped as the uh, finals of the Crockett Cup 1987. Yeah, It's uh, Tully Lex versus Nikita and Dusty. That really feels like Lex is kind of coming out party, and he is great in that match attacking Nikita's neck uh, with the injury there. They clipped the first nine minutes. I want to see that match in full because I can see it being like a top uh, – top kind of 12 13 contender um even in unclipped it was probably in my top 25 so that uh, i think lex with the spectrum of work his stuff with pillman i mean was was great that match at halloween havoc was fantastic he had the match versus uh tommy rich which was really well done uh his match versus wyndham wasn't excellent but again was solid stuff so we we saw uh luger have a wide wide variety of uh at least good matches with a lot of opponents. He played both a heel and a face. And uh, so he's certainly worthy to me of being a top five person for the 80s. No, I, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I echo all of that. Uh, I had him as number seven. Um, I met, oh, now that you've, now that you've uh, gone on the big spiel there, I wonder if I, if uh, you know, I used to think about this list again, I might reverse. I won't put on seven and Luger six. Um, because we definitely saw more great Luger performances than arm performances. Um, but yeah, great as a babyface, great as a heel. Um, not not much more to say, and uh, very uh, oily and nice, <laughs> nice looking. <laughs> um, uh, that that reminds me, uh, Chad. Do you want to do, do some of the um? sillier awards that we had yeah we let's get... go through some of these awards before we get into the kind of main event ones now that were to our top uh top four for wrestler and top uh top five for match we had the we had the loss award for best ring apparel what did you put for that one uh <laughs> i thought long and hard on this one and uh, i came up with miss Atlanta lively <laughs> and uh, my reasoning for this is we did talk about last show kind of these disguised wrestlers and i thought that uh my boy garvin did a, a pretty admirable job of looking like a pretty hideous looking woman in this <laughs> match where you kind of if you didn't know like if you just came into this match cold i don't know if you could have known that was uh ron garvin there so a pretty good disguise i thought um <laughs> Yeah, and I, I, the reason that, of course, this is a, the loss award for best ring of power is because uh, he seemed curiously obsessed with clothes. Uh, <laughs> he, he was criticizing Sting for lack of color coordination, I seem to recall. <laughs> yeah. But uh, my my award for best ring of power is the blackmailer. Oh man. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that he was wearing like a like a colander or like a tea strainer or something on his head, wasn't he? <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, so um, the, another silly award from the from the Slammies, best personal hygiene. I didn't really understand this award or why it was there. I, I, I guess it was like a rib on someone stinking. I guess, but uh, I picked oh. Nor- on the basis of that. I picked Norman the lunatic. Uh, but what was your uh, 
What was your because I, I didn't understand it either, so I went the other way. I picked Terry Taylor. He uh, he always seems pretty well groomed. He always kind of has his hair combed and uh, you know very clean cut. He looks clean, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's so uh, that's that's why I uh, I, I always picture him like uh, wearing like kind of polo cologne or something like that, like kind of. <laughs> So. Seems really weird. Uh, okay, yeah. now I know what you mean, though. He looks like a guy who definitely uh, enjoys Takes a shower. care of himself. <laughs> enjoys yeah. a shower or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I noticed that somebody on the boards picked Lex Luger for this. Are you kidding? Like, you could put Lex Luger in a bath, and he'd he'd probably separate the. Uh, <laughs> like, there'd probably be a whole layer of oil. From, <laughs> um, okay. So, what, what are the silly ones that we have? Oh, yeah. Best celebrity special guest. Yeah, this was uh, not many good choices here. Uh, so, well, I went with, of course, everybody's favorite TV personality, Jason Hervey. <laughs> he was uh, he, w- he was a good choice. He was around, uh, actually, not as much as I thought, though, actually, on these big shows. I thought he was, like, there constantly during all the clashes and super shows. He was there a good bit, but... Uh, I mean, I thought it was like a mainstay, like for a couple year run where they'd always show him in the crowd and really try to build him up. Uh, but my pick was we talked about him enough in sort of the middle shows we did, Lyle Alzado. So I figured <laughs> I better give him a nod. Uh, apparently a lot better football player than I ever knew. A lot yeah. more memorable because uh, there was certainly a lot of people champion how uh, – memorable football player he was so i tell you around that time period chad you got absolutely buried for your lilazado knowledge there yeah i, I still <laughs> again I've, I've asked other people around here uh, about him no one seems to really recollect him I, most i get is oh yeah didn't he used to play football but uh apparently he had some big fans that also frequent our show so <laughs> so uh yeah, and I'm pretty sure our buddy uh, NWA fan was one of the people uh, pulling him up on that. And I, I will mention, I did. Uh, I, he uh, he seemed to get a bit upset after our last show, Chad. Uh, he said uh, he's going to keep on listening, but he was worried that his comments weren't uh, weren't welcome on the show. I did write to him saying that his comments are welcome, uh, and that uh, you know we read them out because disagreement's more interesting than agreement, right? Um, oh yeah, and, and again, <laughs> I want to preference that by saying that uh I, I mean one we have not watched all the tv from that time so if you have watched the tv from that time you've watched more than me and par so yep. you can judge that based on your memory because we haven't seen it and uh and two that i mean this whole garvin thing is a very i mean even within our small subset i think as much as we champion garvin is contrarian yeah so at, at, there's people out there that i think most don't like garvin i i mean it's tough for me to understand that but i do always recognize that i come from an area where garvin really resonates with me from a character standpoint Right. Uh, and I always welcome any dissension opinions. I mean, if you, I, I think uh, one thing that I certainly don't want to be uh, this show to be criticized for is we don't welcome opinions because uh, I mean, for instance, I work on uh, I, I work on the website with Scott Criscolo, and I disagree tremendously with a lot of his wrestling <laughs> things. But uh, 
at the end of the day, we can still get over it and have a debate and then be friends otherwise. Do, do you so. know, I, I didn't I, I didn't consider that until just now. But you and Scott are really kind of like on the polar yeah, opposite end. Yeah, we're very <laughs> wide. I mean, even me and Justin have differences, but uh, me and Scott are on uh, other levels most of the time. <laughs> I, you know, I, but, I, I actually think I'm closer to those guys than you are in terms of yeah, uh, my... I would agree with that. Yep. Yeah, and that's interesting. Uh, all right. Um, so uh, yeah, NWA fan, d- don't stop writing, guy. We uh, we appre- and a- another thing we appreciate is a voice from outside of our little niche. You know, we we right. we said it a few times, but uh, you know, the, the, the true uh, old NWA fans. You know, this is who the show is for ultimately. So. Um, while we're doing these silly awards, why not do the total Billy Graham award for worst wrestler? We've actually named a bottom five each. So uh, I reckon we can just speed through these. Uh, you Give your five, I'll give my five. Uh, my number five is Paul Jones. Maybe controversial, but uh, <laughs> sorry, Johnny Sorrow, but I, I don't <laughs> like the guy. I just don't, I don't see what he did that was... Very uh, revolutionary. I think I'm somebody that really appreciates sort of these dark uh, characters, these interesting characters. And with Paul, I just never, I I just don't see it how he, you know, I think anybody could have been put in that position and done just as well if it was pushed just as hard. Yeah. And uh, one thing I want to mention there is um, we've seen quite, we saw quite a few Paul Jones matches where he was actually in the match, right, as a manager. Right. And, but one thing Bobby Heenan always says is that he wor- he he tried to work like uh, he tried to work as a manager like a wrestler, and when he was a wrestler, he tried to work like a manager. Okay, uh, you've heard Bobby Heenan say that, right? Uh, on his on his shoots and things. Whereas I feel like Paul Jones did not when he worked as a manager, he just wasn't weak enough. Like he wor- he worked pretty much like like a former wrestler, which is what he was. So um, I, I I have a little bit of a, I think he. He was put over a bit too strong as a manager yeah. in a lot of those matches. So, uh, so then uh, my number four is Jack Victory. A variety of gimmicks, none of them good. <laughs> so that's that. Three Ranger Ross, we went over that. Just I, I don't understand. Uh, <laughs> number two, uh, Billy Graham, uh, whose name stay is uh, what this is named by he had three performances all were terrible i think the kung fu karate is the worst but uh kind of really sad to see how far he'd fallen uh and you know they they sort of brought him in i i think thinking he could be like a a, a big star and obviously by his last appearance starcade 85 they knew that was long gone and but my number one is dan spivey i think he's terrible dangerous and uh really quite bad in the 80s which is kind of shocking because in 1991 i think he's actually turned around and is decent and carryable uh carryable but uh in 1988 and 89 he was really rough and uh, really bad so it's it's tough to uh to put my old uh, georgia bulldog buddy down but uh yeah dan spivey's my number one Right. Well, I think our, t- our bottom three is the same three guys in different orders here. Um, but my my number five, no surprise to anybody who listens to this show, flat top Nikita Koloff. So that's when Nikita, <laughs> that's when Nikita Koloff's got face uh, is a face uh, with the, with the hair later on. I just hate him during that period. Um, 
number four, uh, one half of the dynamic dude, Johnny Ace. Um, just, uh, I, I just, uh, number three is Ranger Ross. Uh, number two, Dan Spivey. I agree with everything you said, uh, Chad, but at least Dan Spivey tried to do a suplex, uh, mm-hmm. which is more than I can say for Billy Graham, uh, who won, who won the total Billy Graham award. I mean, it, it, I, it's a while ago, Chad, but go back and check out some of that Billy Graham footage. He is absolutely atrocious doing that. He can't sell. He can't do any moves. He he doesn't even like. He do, he can't even do a fake karate chop without looking terrible. So Ugh. yeah, he's pretty bad. Um, and it's a bit sad. Like I don't want to <laughs> kick a man when he's down, but bloody hell. All right. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, where are we now? We're, we're almost there, aren't we? Uh, yeah, we, uh, I don't know, do you want to do most improved real quick? Yeah, let's do that. Most improved. Um, I went with Lex Luger again. I think uh, even in the early 87 matches, uh, minus the Crockett Cup match, like that one tag match with him and Flair uh, that we saw on the first set of TV shows, yeah, you could see him still a little wet behind the ears. Uh, I mean, he tried, and he, he, he did an okay to a good job, but he still had moments. Uh, and I think throughout 1989, we really saw him sort of kind of put it together again. I don't want to reiterate, but through a variety of different opponents, uh, he put together intricate different matches that were all satisfactory. So... I think over the spectrum of time, he may not have went the farthest from being outright bad to good, mm-hmm. but uh, his little improvements from being uh, good but green to a you know very good one of the top workers in the company was uh, surprising and welcoming for me to see. So yeah, well, I I kind of interpreted this. I thought that Luga, even though I do think he improves dramatically between '87 and '89. Um, I think he's still good enough in '88. Um, right. That 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 the that the journey, like I think that other guys we see other guys go further, and the guy that I picked out um, for most improved was Steve Williams, because um, if you go back and have a look at our uh, end of uh, show awards, Chad, um, there's a there's a spell there in early eight, late '87, early '88 where I'm I feel I'm giving that to Steve Williams every week. Um, and yet, but by the time you get to the feud with, uh, is it Rotunda and, mm-hmm. uh, those guys, I think he kind of get, gets a, quite a lot better by the time we get to the end of his run. So, uh, that's why I put Steve Williams there. I, I'm a little bit surprised by just how bad Steve Williams is in that early part of his NWA run because he's meant to be quite good in UWF, isn't he? Yeah. And I, I don't think I, uh, I didn't think he was as bad as you did. So that, that sort of affected right. me for not considering him but yeah i definitely think he improved so right um so we're we're right at the business end now let's go um well shall we do four and three picks for the top 10 wrestlers uh and then go just do the top five should we do that okay are we, are we right there's no other awards that i can see uh well we got best tag team uh right top top five wrestlers and then we want to do best and worst show right oh yeah and uh so let's let's do uh we'll do our top 
Uh, let me see. This is kind of bad. We're sort of all over the place. <laughs> Let's do best and worst show now, and then oh, we'll right. do best tag team. Then we'll do all five best wrestlers. Then we'll do all five best matches. All right. Oh, best face and heel. Let's do that first. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, uh, so go ahead with best heel. Best heel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to say, um, well, who did I pick? Terry Funk. Yeah. Uh Little doubt about him. I mean, I started talking about it a little bit, but his character is just so good there, where he's um, he's clearly like trying to present himself in one way, but there's something else going on at the back of his head. Um, you know, he uh, he feels a little bit like you can see that his manly his kind of manly pride has been hurt a little bit. He obviously feels a bit disrespected by Flair in some way. I think there's a lot going on. It's quite a subtle like quite a nuanced performance. Um, and and he has these, like... The thing is with Terry Funk, he's never just crazy, right? There's always more going on. And I think that's, yeah. re- I think that's really interesting. Yeah, he, he kind of plays up, I guess, uh, like a very psychological wild man genius in some ways. Yeah. Uh, for my my best heel, I went with our boy Tolly. I uh, thought he... Uh, has very few, like Jim Cornette, has very few redeeming qualities to anything we saw with him. Uh, ultimate opportunist, uh, very not, you know, he's kind of one of these characters that would, uh, you know, run over your grandma to, if he sees a hundred dollar bill in the road, one of those type of characters that's very selfish, very self-centered, uh, has a, intense desire to win be the best and we'll do uh you know we'll go at all costs to do that so i thought he really played up that and uh even when the other horsemen seemed to get cheered in some instances totally never really got cheered so that's kudos to him yeah he's a real heels heel totally isn't he yeah yeah and then we actually agreed on best face uh, if you want to say a few yeah. words on him which i think is a surprising pick in some ways I think it is a little bit surprising uh, based on what you think about him, but we've both gone for Ric Flair as the best face. Um, and this is all the way back to Starkid 83, but I think that the, the the face Flair character is really... is a guy that you can get behind, basically. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think he has some of his best moments as a face. Uh, not only against uh, race, but against funk against luger um i think that i always get the impression that the um fans in in the carolina certainly and also to some extent uh in atlanta were just kind of gagging to cheer for flair any i I get the impression that any opportunity they can get to cheer for flair they will cheer for flair do you agree with that yeah i mean and, and i agree with uh what you said. I mean, I think the other candidates for me with this, the other candidates, I just I think there there was people that had longer face runs and were great for a lot of that. But just like somebody like Dusty, you know, yeah, I think at the tail end, he kind of petered out uh, Garvin, obviously, in uh, the end of 87. He wasn't getting uh, at Starcade kind of unfortunately sort of hinders him. Uh, and even you know, somebody like Sting, I think he got decent reactions, but uh, well, got very good reactions at many points. But I, I couldn't see giving him uh, this award either. Well, what about your boy Chad? 
the Boogie Woogie Man. Boogie Woogie Man's not a bad choice. He's somebody I didn't even think about, uh, but he, he always got a, a good, definitely a good reaction. And one, I mean, one thing I know uh, I did bust on my boy Paul Jones, but they did stay relatively hot for that feud throughout. I mean, I do attribute most of that to Valiant, but uh, but but yeah. So he he definitely got a good face reaction. But Flair in '89 and the uh, Starcade '83 stuff, I think, is just glorious. And that uh, our next show that we do Clash Ten, that makes what happens there even more unfortunate because I think there's a lot more legs on Flair's face than what they did. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And I, one other thing is, is that obviously as a face, he has more uh, leeway to be on, like to dominate matches a bit more. Right. You know, where he hits some of those spots that we see him miss so many times. Um, yeah, he's a slightly stronger offensive worker when he's a face, I think. Um, so, where, where are we now? What are we going to well, do? Let's do best and worst show. Okay, best show for you. My best show for me is Clash 1. Um, I think three matches I'd classify as great. Uh, you know, one that was a top 20 candidate, two that were just on the outside looking in, but uh, probably were top 30 matches. And then the uh, the other stuff I thought was, uh, you know, serviceable and kind of kept the show going along and important from a storyline's perspective. So for a two-hour show... Uh, Clash One overall, I think, is my favorite. Uh, maybe controversial. I mean, I think it's between it and Great American Bash '89. Mm. Uh, but but I give a little nod to Clash One. Um. Yeah. Well, the, what else is in it really? I I really like Clash Four as a show. Uh, yeah, Clash Four is a good show. Um, I'm just trying to think of like a the thing about the pay per views. A lot of those ones with um. Funk and uh, with Flair and Funk or Flair and Steamboat on top don't have the best undercards, although some of them are pretty solid. Which is the one that has Lex, um, Luger, and is it Steamboat? Does Luger face Steamboat at any time? That's Great American Bash 89. That has, uh, I mean, Great American Bash 89 has Cornette versus Dangerously. Then, yeah. uh, then Sting versus Muda, then uh, Lex versus Steamboat, then the War Games, and then Flair Funk. Uh, so it's certainly a, a stacked top half. Uh, I think Bash '89 is a yeah. contender for greatest pay per view. Right. Um, which I, I do believe we discussed at some point. Yeah. Um, and just looking at the, that card from start to finish. What have you got there? Pillman versus Irwin. Which is okay. Then you have the Skyscrapers match, which is Uh-oh. not very good, but oh. kind of humorous. But, uh, but Jim and, Cornette versus Paul Lee. I mean, we didn't talk about that, but that's a really good yeah, match. Yeah, I mean, er- everything from that on, which that happens at the 45-minute mark. So for the next two hours and 15 minutes, it's uh, definitely uh, everything's great. <clears throat> I think I'll go with that. Great American Bash '89, yeah. um, just because it's harder to have like a nine a nine match card that is really good uh, than you know Clash One is what four matches. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I, I, it's definitely between that and Clash One with Clash Four coming in third for me probably. Uh, worst show, something I need to think about really. Um, <laughs> 
I think the bunkhouse stampede springs to mind. Ah, uh, damn it! You took mine. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, Starcade '84, I think, is a contender. Um, but the bunkhouse stampede for me is uh, the first uh, one for me because that's uh, their second pay per view. Really uh, inconsequential pay per view overall. I mean, the bunkhouse stampede is a concept that didn't work. Dusty won, which he didn't need to in 1988. Yeah. Flair versus Hulk feels like a really kind of as as weak uh, Flair title defense as you can get, which is unfortunate because you're coming right off of uh, Flair's win at Starcade. Uh, and then, you know, you had a couple, I mean, Zabisco versus Wyndham's not bad, but it's probably, you know, three, three to three to stars to three and a half. And that's your top match. And at least Starcade 84 had a, uh, a four star match that both of us think. And for me, like a four and a half star match between us, Steamboat and Tully. So yeah, the, the, the only other, um, uh, car that really would push it close, I think for overall crapness is some of the, uh, Something like Clash 3. Yeah, Clash 3 is pretty bad too, but I would still, I think I would think the uh, Wyndham Sting match I like better than anything on um, on the uh, Bunkhouse Stampede show. But yeah, Clash 3 is pretty rough. Clash 5 is not great. Yeah. What's the what's the show, what's the show with Sting with his Iron Sheik on it? The, the one with uh, like Ranger Ross in the that's uh, WrestleWar '89. Oh so right, think, okay. Yeah, well, that right. can't. Yeah. I mean, apart from uh, the main event, there, that's not a great show either. Yeah, that, and that I would say that's the most show that uh, gets hyped. That I would say it does not worthy because that's a show who I, a lot of people, uh, you know, as we were reading the Meltzer WrestleWar '89, he was calling it like one of the best pay per views of all time. So yeah, I, I mean, I didn't like it as much as Shy Town Rumble or Starcade '88. Right, so yeah, I think my worst show is probably the same as yours, though. The Bunkhouse, uh, very little redeeming features. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so are we? T- is it time to hit a top five? Uh, well, let's do best tag team first. Oh, okay, we'll all right. Top one on that, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, we both agreed. So if you want to talk about uh, who you selected for that, then well, I'll... well, I've gone for the Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton version of the Midnight Express. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, and um, I'd, overall, I think that there'd be a case to put Eaton and Conry over them, but not in the NWA. I think their best stuff is in Mid-South, from what I've seen. <coughs> so, uh, yeah, Eaton and Lane, we saw them work uh, heel, we saw them work face. I think uh, Stan Lane has got a few great kind of hidden performances from him um, that don't really get talked about that much. Uh, Eaton, as we've talked about, is great. Uh, Cornette is a vital part of that package. I, I think he's probably, you know, a member of the Midnight Express. You know, you can't really take him away from it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I echo all that. Um, I think they had a, a variety of good matches. A lot of kind of good, uh, you know, if you want to look at sort of their three-star type matches to them versus the original Midnight Express, it's not a match we watched, but them versus the original Midnight Express from the uh, last, I think it's Worldwide show in 1988. That's a match I've seen a few times, and that's that's a really good match too. So uh, 
they they work good as heels, good as their little baby face run too. So uh, I think I mean I think it's really between them and Arn and Tully, and I think uh, Midnight's just had more stuff, I guess, that we saw. Well, well I mean, there's the rock and rolls, and there's the fantastic. There is the rock and rolls. Rock and rolls. I mean, I don't. We it seems like in some regards we didn't really see a ton of the rock and rolls actually. Fantastics, I think, are in contention, but. Uh, and yeah. uh, the Russians, I guess, we saw quite a few of those. Right. I, I would put the other teams ahead of them. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, not a lot of... Uh, I don't think many people would descend from that. Yeah. No. Not the top of the line. No. Um, so, should we do the rest of the workers? Yeah. So, uh, actually, we only have a top four because we ended up doing our uh, top... Uh, Top uh, f- our fifth one, which yours right. was Terry Falk, mine was Lex Luger. Your number four is uh, one that I have higher, and my number four is one you have higher. <laughs> right, it's the uh, same four it, guys, right? Yeah, yeah. This is this is kind of weird how we go through. So uh, your number three is one that I have a little higher. <laughs> my number three is your number four, so we'll start there. My number three is uh, Ron Garvin. Not much more to say. Um, I think I think a great worker at this point for this time period. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I'll leave it at that. I think I've said my piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we've we've said enough about Ron Garvin, but not out of place on a list like this at all. Yeah. Uh, so your number three was that. My number three was your mm-hmm. number two. Right. So uh, <laughs> if you want to go ahead and uh, why don't you go ahead and talk about your number two? Yeah, so, well, I had a feeling that I was higher than, you were lower on him than I was. Um, My number two is Ricky Steamboat, um, which, he's a guy who isn't there for a long stretch of the stuff that we've watched, but the stuff that he has been in has has consistently been among the best stuff that we saw. So, he was in the final conflict, and it was great. He He had the Starkid 84 match against Tully, and he was great. He was great in all of the stuff against uh, Flair. He was great in the Luger match. He was great against Funk. I mean, what what more can you ask from the guy? <laughs> he um, he was consistently awesome in everything that he was in. Uh, yeah. I do know you have some problems with his character, maybe some of his fire, Chad. Is that your? Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, only. I mean, he's number four, so it's not like <laughs> I I buried the guy, but. Uh, I do see him having as a, a little bit of Anderson, Arn Anderson complex, as I was discussing before, where the stuff he was in, I don't, uh, I know like in the Flair series, you placed him above Flair. I only thought he was better than Flair, like in the Chi-Town Rumble match. Right. Uh, but but he's not far off. I don't I don't want to say that. I mean, I, where I do think he's maybe not quite as good as the person he's in the ring with for most of his big matches. Like, I think Slaughter's the star of the final conflict match. Yeah. Uh, yeah if forced to choose, I'd probably pick Tully in the Starcade 84 match. But he, he's definitely one half step behind, you know. So he, he had a lot of great... I mean, you, you can just look at the great matches. Uh, you know, he had six, seven, four, four and a quarter or above matches just in what we saw. And then even the... Uh, 
I mean, the Starcade 83 tag match is not a terrible match, so that's nothing to sort of hang your head in shame. I mean, we both probably would go about three stars for that match. That's against the Briscoes, right? Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah, that was a good match. Not, yeah. yeah, not bad. It's good. So, yeah, I think Steamboat's definitely one of the best workers in NWA in the 80s. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I, I just think that he's uh, just so good at what he does, selling the crispness of his uh, chops, you know, the way the way that he he does a suplex, you know, all of these sort of things kind of factor into why he's uh, so highly uh, rated on my list, right. as well as the great uh, matches he was in. Um, so your number two was my number three. Right, and uh, should be no surprise here. It's uh, totally Blanchard. I think somebody that, for what the performances we saw, he had a couple of little disappointing matches. But again, I mean, if I'm not if I'm not going to take away the Briscoes versus Youngblood Steamboat match from Stark '83, I don't really think I can take away Garvin versus Tolly from Five Three Eighty Six because I think that match is you know better than the the uh, the tag match from Stark '83. Yeah. So I, I I think Tully consistently gave great performances. Again, was in some absolute classic matches, and I mean I don't think there's much more to say. He's overall uh, just amazing. Yeah, well, not much to add to that. Uh, Tully is a consummate heel, great worker, great at selling, great at being a sneaky opportunist. Um, love his slingshot suplex and can't get enough of that move. He doesn't do it enough for my liking. Um, yeah, really good. Uh, the, the only reason that um, Steamboat got the very slight nod over over Tully there is that Tully did have a couple of performances I was a little bit down on uh, in that first TV special that we had, and that was the difference in the end. Whereas I can't, I don't recall any particularly bad... There was one Steamboat performance that I was not that keen on, which was uh, in that tag match with Eddie Gilbert in it. Mm-hmm. Right, so, um, yeah. So, we reached the... Are we going to do our number one wrestler here? It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I think it's the most anticlimactic award we have. I mean, obviously... Hold on, uh, let's, let's build it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, the Ric Flair Award for the best wrestler goes to Ric Flair. Uh, <laughs> not a surprise. I think uh, this would one where I'd I'd be I'd be uh, anybody that would not say Ric Flair. I would be interesting to hear uh, from them. Uh, you know, just if you don't think he was, I'd be interesting to hear. But I can't. I can't see uh, picking anybody else, even if you don't think he was. Always the MVP. He was in so many uh, great matches with so many wide variety of opponents. Uh, was the you know the standard bearer for the promotion. So to me, he has to be number one. Do you remember all that stuff I was saying to NWA fan about welcoming dissenting opinions, etc.? <laughs> <laughs> this is one case where I do not welcome. I can't handle it, Chad. When <laughs> I can't handle it when people can't see the greatness. That's all I'm going to say. Well, even even people that, I mean, if you want to rank Bret Hart versus Ric Flair above him, I mean, that's something I don't really get, but I, I, can, I can understand the argument. I, 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 uh, I, 
I, I mean, I, I know, but uh, I, I, I can I can't see them still saying. I don't know. Maybe there is though. I I can actually see. I guess maybe somebody preferring Steamboat. That is somebody I can see making a little argument of uh, going through the list. But I I I don't know. I, you watch I, these twenty match. You watch these twenty or thirty matches that me and Chad have picked here, and then come out and tell me that Ric Flair is not the greatest. I I can't. It's just insane. All right, I'm not going to say anymore because I get upset. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all right, so uh, we've just got the best matches left, right? Yeah, just our top five. And uh, you can go ahead and start us off with a, your number five, which is a match that I know you really championed. Uh, yeah. It's actually not in my top 20, which is this high up is the most uh, kind of dissension <laughs> We have, but yeah. uh, certainly a match I think is great too. So go ahead. Right, number five goes to, and this is a this is a statement as much as anything else. I love this match. It's Ron Garvin versus Ric Flair from uh, World Championship Wrestling, December twenty eighth, eighty five. If you can find that match on YouTube or whatever, watch it right now. Um, I think it is on YouTube. So yeah, it's just amazing. Uh, I I love the brutality. The uh, the hatred in it, um, it's worked more like a sprint um, than their other matches. Uh, yeah, I just um, of their of their matches, that's the one that um, I think <clears throat> I think the reason that I I like it the best out of their matches is because it's the most under the radar match probably, um, and it's one of the few times where I can think a match is approaching five stars in a in a setting like that, you know, where they're just this is literally just a TV match and it's that good. Uh, yeah. So I, there's just go and watch it. There's nothing more I want to uh, say about it. I can understand why you didn't put it in, Chad. Um, it, like, you must have thought that they were pretty well represented already. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to make a bit of a statement, I guess. Because I think that's yeah. such a good match. Certainly a great match. A uh, very cool setting in the studio. Uh, I always like seeing. I mean, even though I had the uh, a Wyndham uh, Flair Worldwide match, and I have another TV technically TV match coming up. This feels the most kind of old style TV studio type match uh, on the list because you're in front of you know 50 or 60 fans at Techwood, uh, and they laid it in. and They had a great match, so I have no. Uh, no, no beef with you having it this high. I, it's certainly a great match that I wish uh, more people would talk about and see. And your number five is my number four. Right. So, so, so why, didn't, why, ahead. why didn't you talk about it? Why didn't you talk about uh, it? Well, that match is uh, Ric Flair versus Terry Funk from Great American Bash '89. Um, <laughs> again, I, I think it's. Uh, I, I do think there's a little deviance between whether you prefer this one or the clash nine one i prefer this one Mm. i think it mixed in sort of the uh wrestling dynamics with an out of control brawl especially the ending scene and really kind of presented an nwa title match as something we hadn't seen as we just came off these great technical masterpieces with the flair and steamboat to have such a drastic different type of match where they go all over the uh, ringside area and then all over the arena as they sign off the air uh, was very welcoming. I thought Funk was a threat. I like this finish better than the Clash 9 finish where uh, 
Funk still looks strong and as a contender, but Flair's able to kind of one-up him in one regard and get the win with the cradle. Uh, so this is, I think, uh, you know, obviously one of the best matches of the 80s. <clears throat> no, absolutely. And uh, I think most people, I say, uh, like I just looked up uh, Matt Petticord here as a basis of comparison, rate the I Quit match better than they rate this one. Uh, and as an example, he gave the I Quit match four stars. He gave this one, uh, he gave the I Quit match five stars. He gave this one just four. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's that's a whole star difference there. Uh, I'm with you, uh, obviously. Um, I think uh, this is a more complete match. It's got a more satisfying finish. Um, I think it's got a very interesting dynamic between the two men. Um, and I think there's a, a something of a, bit, a surprise factor as well with, with Funk, because he's he'd kind of been presented as a, this kind of older guy. And yeah, he's still having a crazy match like this uh, in 1989. I, yeah, definitely uh, one of my favourite matches that we've that we've seen. Um, and you've got the the stuff in the post match with Muto as well, right? Yeah, which is uh, yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, the post match is a crazy <clears throat> brawl with the Funk still there, but they brought in Sting and Muta and actually uh, made them look like integral pieces. So that helped out too. Yeah, and uh, the other thing that not to forget with that match is that is the kind of um, it's put over strong on commentary, the uh, the pile driver, Flair's neck, um, that that Funk had already injured, and he kept on going after that neck. So it's got a really cool story as well. Great match. Um, Yeah, so I I do think that's one uh, where even within PWO we may be running against the tide there yeah. mm, i don't i don't know about that i know uh dylan thinks that's one of the best matches of all time oh good well yeah. good yeah good. like i think i think that would have a chance of being his number one on the uh set excellent all right yeah. uh so number number oh number four for me now right um, no number four for you is font flare all right, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, so my number four is uh, Flair versus Steamboat from WrestleWar 89, which is your number six. Uh, right. <clears throat> I mean, not much to say about this. I think this is their most uh, kind of <clears throat> quintessential type match. It seems to be the one that people in WWE and stuff like that point to as their signature type match. A 30 minutes tight, tighter version than the Clash 6 match. Intensity still there. You get Flair kind of turning face in one moment and the title win. Uh, it also has the post-match with Funk, which I didn't really include into that, but that's great when you take in the whole total package. It actually amplifies everything. Uh, so not much more to say about this. I would expect everybody has seen this match before, but uh, if you haven't, it's certainly one of the best matches I thought of the 80s and held up when we rewatched it. Yeah, it's got the interesting dynamic with the three judges as well. Don't forget, right. the, uh, which gives it a slightly different feel to to the to the others, but because um, they're doing it in front of like NWA history, which is quite cool. Um, yeah, really good. Um, I've got it slightly below the other two as we'll, but we'll talk more about that when we get to it, I guess. So my number three. Why don't you go with yours, Chad? Uh, my number three is Ric Flair versus Ron Garvin 
uh, worldwide, 9-26-87. The title changed, the cage match. This is a match that I'd watched uh, once before. Thought it was, I mean, I know I thought it was good before, but uh, it uh, for some reason it didn't resonate. Then I watched it with our TV stuff and thought it was, I mean, utterly fantastic. Completely <clears throat> amazing and uh, sort of built up to the cage spots, the, uh, you know, I, I, I think you're under the crux that Garvin, as we talked about on the TV show, you, I mean, it just feels like if you look at it on paper that Garvin just got like a fluke win, but the way they built this match, it really felt like Garvin had Flair's number. Garvin yeah. looked very comparable as a, a NWA champion and the belt filled him in the confines of this match. And then, uh, you know, so I watched it that time and then uh, Loss kind of piqued my interest with his comments because he watched it and he's a guy that I align with a lot and I respect his opinion. And uh, he seemed to watch it a couple times and called it one of the greatest matches he'd ever seen. So I actually watched this match again uh, a couple nights ago on Thursday night. And uh, yeah, if this was not, if, if, if my next two matches were not probably two of my seven, eight favorite matches of all time. This would be my number one. I would say this 100% would, if this match was in AWA, this would have been my number one on right. that set. Right. If, <clears throat> if this match was in uh, all Japan, it would have been my number two. Wow. Uh, right. So yeah. it, it I, I think this is one of the best matches of all time. The way it's, the way it's crafted, the way it's created way it uses the cage but still mixes in the wrestling this has every aspect of a match i look for with a defining moment uh excellent work has execution but also has a great overlapping story uh and really feels like a, a pinnacle of these two guys' career both of them gave tremendous performances so this is uh one match that i really appreciate and love and uh, you, where did you have this one? I know you had ten, it right, but uh, ten, ten, yeah, so there. And yeah. an extremely emotional finish to that match as well, right? Which uh, yeah. you can, I, I certainly got caught up in when I when I watched it. Um, I mean, <laughs> I've got it ten, which looks like we're quite far apart on this uh, chat. I do think you're a bit higher on it than me because you're talking about it uh, like losses as one of the great greatest matches of all time. But just to put this in context, like I've got it number ten right behind Funk Flair, I quit. You know, it's not like I um, it's not like I'm saying this is this is a four and three quarters match for me. Um, it, everything on my list above uh, ten and above is four and three quarters until you get to um, <clears throat> until you get to uh, number six, and then it's all five stars all the way. So this is like um, in terms of my the best matches I've ever seen. This is still making this somewhere, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, it's just it's just that I I mean I'm not sure I wouldn't have put it number two on all Japan for example. Um, I would have it would have been about seven or eight on. It probably would have been scratching the top half of the top ten there for me, um, which it again is very high praise because all of that stuff is five star in my mind as well. So. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a very good match. I'm, I'm not going to dissent too much. And I would, I would, um, I mean, I, I do see, I do seem like I'm in the position of saying this, uh, 
fairly inconsequential TV, little studio TV match is, uh, is better than this match. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess that shows what type of fan I am, I guess. I, I, I guess the big, um, the small studio match over, over the big emotional title win um, as a great moment. Obviously, the match you've picked here is, is better. Um, but, yeah, it, it, we're talking very small margins here uh, yeah, for, yeah. For, for all of these matches. So I, I can understand liking either the studio match or, I mean, a lot of people don't like the, the uh, Starcade 87 match. If, 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 if yeah. we've been looking up some reviews, you should, <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> you might want to take a gander at some of those because that's a match again where uh, people... <laughs> Like, I know uh, the place to be guys gave that match a two and a half, which <laughs> drives me up the wall. But yeah, it, it, that's it, another it, argument for another day. It, that is, I mean, I, I, I said it on the last show that that is, in my view, uh, what is known as a retcon by uh, or, or it's retro, retroactive downgrading. In my view, they know the story about that. They have the rep of uh, him being the worst um, champ ever. Um, they have a view of the fans not digging that match. They have a, uh, a view of uh, the Ronnie Garvin that we get in the WWE, and they think he's lame. You watch that match in a one-off type context, I can imagine, you know, oh, yeah, this is just not going to be that good. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I can understand how it comes about. I'll, I'll, that's not saying I can understand it, though. But a lot of people don't write that, rate that match for that reason, I think. Yeah, I, I wouldn't expect people to really resonate with this match either, but I, it's 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 one now that I really hold dear, like the worldwide match. I mean, it's one that, I mean, maybe a top ten match of all time for me. So, wow, it's up there. So that well, we're at the business end now. If I my number three, yeah, is uh, now see, I was always higher than than other people, I guess on. Tritown Rumble, uh, Flair versus Steamboat. Yeah. You've got you've got this all the way down as number ten or eleven, right? Yeah, well, I got it as number ten, so it's kind of the same argument as uh, we did on the last match, just reversed. Yeah. Where again, uh, that I mean, this is four and three quarters for me. So, as, as I said at the time, um, this is for me is your textbook twenty minute pay per view main event match, five stars. Um, it, it's got everything. It's got the. It's worked at a higher pace. It's worked at a very high pace. Um, and the reason I've got it over the Wrestle War match is that I think is a bit tighter. I think it gets a lot more done, and it's got the. Um, it's got the feel good factor at the end of it. With uh, did, did, uh, uh, does it? I, I, Steamboat wins, right? Yeah, Steamboat yeah, wins yeah. this one. This yeah. is his championship. So it's got, so. I mean, it's got like the great kind of, the, the same thing as that Garvey match you're talking about. It's got that kind of emotional uh, thing with everybody hitting the ring and, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Perfect, just a perfect pay-per-view main event match um, that every wrestling fan should watch. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, great match. Uh, kind of a sprint version for them. Uh Steamboat win and help prolong the feud. Not much more to say. Uh, you know, definitely one of the best matches of '89, sir. And uh, from here on out, we have exactly the same. 
Um, yeah, I don't think it's quite a surprise if you've listened to the show what our top two matches would be. Uh, I think maybe the order was in jeopardy, but uh, we both had number two and same number two and same number one. So if you want to go ahead and talk about number two. Well, number two, um, and and this is a match, Chad, when you said it'd be number one if on AWA or number one in or Japan or whatever, this is a match I'd say that would be way up there for any for any all-time matches for me. Um, Magnum TA versus Tully uh, Blanchard, I quit. Starkid 85. What an incredible match. Yeah. This uh, probably would actually say this would probably be number one on uh, even all Japan. It yeah. did close for me. Yeah, just a great match. Hatred. Uh, just a lot. I mean, to me, there's a lot of emotions in this match that you just don't get conjured up that much in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a amazing sense of humiliation that you see in Tully's eyes when he uh, quits and then kind of just is this despicable man that even still just, uh, you know, won't, 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 uh, won't just accept a loss, you know, and, Magnum defiantly leaving the cage and when he throws the belt over his shoulder and leaves the cage walking tall, it's one of the kind of best, uh, you know, putting, bringing somebody out to the woodshed and giving them what they deserve is, uh, this type of match where you knew both of them kind of wouldn't be the same coming out of this match as they were coming in and they weren't. And, uh, just a great, uh, culmination of a great rivalry. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't want to repeat myself too much. You can go back to our Starkid 85 show, and uh, I think we talked about this match at length, right, Chad? Um, yeah. But, I mean, to me, this is one of the few instances where a match transcends the confines of of wrestling. It's about more than just winning and losing. It's about manhood, uh, essentially. It's about the the male ego, um, yeah. uh, basically. Um, yeah, f- fantastic. And... Uh, that uh, the the one little thing I'll say is that that wooden spike always looks so horrible, so nasty. Um, at the end of that, okay. And the top match, not to anybody's surprise. Uh, so I don't want it to be too anticlimactic, but here we are, number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we both went with Flair Steamboat from Clash Six. Uh, I, I, I mean, to me. This or uh, 6-9-1995 9, All-Japan Tag with Masawa and Kabashi versus Kawada and Taoe. Uh, th- those are the two best matches I've ever seen in my life. I, I, I've seen this match millions of times. I think some people maybe are a little immune to this match, which I I kind of feel, I mean, that that's your opinion. That's fine. But, uh, I mean, watching this match again, I was kind of going in expecting that myself but uh it, it it holds up every time i watch it every time i watch it i think it's still one of the greatest matches ever and it's amazing and i think this is actually the match we probably talked the longest about yeah. and we really broke it down and gave our four faces of flare theory that you really see uh transpire throughout this match so uh, just just two great wrestlers doing a great performance. I think this is Flair to me. This is in Ric Flair's career his greatest performance um, yeah. of all time. So, I, I, for, 
Carry on, Chad. Sorry. Well, just I mean, just saying that Flair, somebody that I would probably, if I had a gun to my head, I'd rank him as the best wrestler of all time. So this is his best performance. Right. And uh, I mean, no secret who, uh, if if you held a gun, you don't even need to hold a gun to my head. (laughs) I'll tell you straight out that I think uh, uh, Flair is the greatest too. And uh, I agree that this is his, the best match of his that I've seen. Um, The one thing that, doesn't often get talked about is that this is a like a 40 plus minute match work like a sprint yeah 55 minutes they never uh yeah that's something that font talks about on commentary how fast the time goes by um i mean my my awa number one match is henning versus bachwinkle in the one hour draw uh that's one of the greatest one hour draws i've ever seen the time flies by there that match has a lot of kind of caveats and tide changes that help past the time there uh i mean i think this match just does all that and uh, a little bit better so i mean that's that's a five-star match to me but uh i mean i don't if you want to do like a five-star plus match that's this match yeah no, the one thing that stands out in my mind about this match is that spot where steamboat has flair's leg and he drops the elbow about 20 times <laughs> because mm-hmm. I, I mean th- that's kind of the moment where you think this match is moving into beyond territory you know this is like greater than greatness type thing right <laughs> um so yeah uh we two of the greatest matches ever um i'd i'd hope anybody listening to this has, uh, has seen them already um but yeah did check out some of the stuff that you may have not seen you know the flair garvin stuff um it's that worldwide match i know that i uh, uh ranked the 85 one higher but i guess that uh you, you should you should watch that worldwide one that chad was talking about because yeah i'd watch the whole series um and uh, and also that six-man tag for main event again I'll, I'll beat the drum for that match because i think that's a match everybody can enjoy uh, for what it is so absolutely right well that's it chad end of the <laughs> 80s we've, we've we've reached it finally <laughs> Made it through the 80s. I think our longest show to date. <laughs> I thought it'd be a shorter one, but... Uh, yeah, I thought it was going to be short, too. Yeah. Short shows. Are you ready for the 90s? MC Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, Mr. Motivator. Did you have him in the... <laughs> yeah. Uh, all sorts of stuff happening. Uh, yeah, in... I mean, I think we're definitely leaving the glory days of the promotion. Uh, you'll You'll sort of see that in some regards right away at the first show of 1990. Uh, so, I mean, it, it as we go into the 90s, I think these shows will kind of transition from what we've been discussing to sort of the zaniness and some good matches wrapped around a bunch of bad booking and bad character choices. But uh, I'm interested to go through it and plow ahead. No, I'm ready. And we're, we're just about to head into uh, kind of my little speciality area the early 90s of wcw so i'm i'm really looking forward to it all right uh, all right chad till next time so long for now all right see you part fans for all of us here at wcw center stage for cowboy bill watts and the american dream dusty Rhodes. i'm jim ross saying good night everybody <laughs>